You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hello, and welcome back to the Movie Graveyard. We're doing something a little bit different here. We're always trying to do stuff for the first time here. And our thing that we're going to experiment with here tonight is actually something that almost every single podcast in the world does. But, hey, it's our first stab at it. So we're going to be saying bon voyage, rest in peace, to some of our favorite movies of 2018. Why would we talk about 2018? Yes, this is the movie Graveyard. We can only talk about old movies. We dig up old movies. We dissect them. Yes, you are correct. But in order for to be able to dig these up 20 years from now, we got to bury them right now. So... I brought in all the grave diggers tonight, part-time, full-time, it don't matter. Everybody's here. Everybody's going to be digging a grave. We are ready to rock. We are ready to roll. On my left, I have rocking the, from the, representing the amazing worldwide popular Kaiju Transmissions podcast, we got Matt and Bird. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Good, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us on. Of course. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I'm doing doing well. Coming at you from the deep freeze temperature oh. of Michigan right now. Yeah, it's gonna be negative twenty tonight. For those who don't know, tonight and tomorrow, we're we're excited about it. And I thought I was bad, freezing my ass off with fifty degrees right here. Damn, you guys got it bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, sitting over in the corner here. Cracking a joker smile and laugh. We have the one, the only, the guy that for Christmas will give you a children's book about a jelly donut. Yes, I'm talking about the one and only <laughs> Jelly. Jelly, what's going on, man? How you been? It, we're chilly here in Texas, too. It's 41. Ooh. <laughs> I hate all of you. And last. Um, I'm doing good, though. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, we should just say real quick that you actually, you know, you kind of like help get the ball rolling on this because as some people, some listeners know, maybe some don't, but we have all had former podcasts where we really focused on pretty much like current events of films, I would say. And we all, all of us, for all our various shows, we always did a year in podcast and nobody really had that type of podcast going anymore. So. Yeah. yeah, it was always one of my favorite things to do. Um, and uh, yeah, with the, I, I guess I guess we're finally calling it on if it bleeds we can kill it. Um, oh. With that not not being a thing anymore, um, I said, hey, who uh, who wants to do the the best of show out of whoever's still got their stuff you know going? And uh, this this one seemed like a, a better fit than Kaiju Transmissions or uh, Days of Future podcast. That's correct. So, yeah, we're happy to be doing this. You know, you never know. Some years are better than others. Some years you really don't even want to put a, a best together list. But I thought this was a good year. And I think we're going to have some good stuff going on tonight. But last but not least, I do not want to leave our uh, our our last grave digger on the roster here out in the cold too long. I don't want to leave him outside because he's, he might end up like uh, Jack Torrance at the end of The Shining because he also is braving the sub-zero temperatures. We're talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Trev 3K. Trev, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, not too much. Also, just trying not to die from the extreme cold. 
but also glad to be here. Excited to be with everyone. Uh, like everyone else, I always look forward to these kind of year-end wrap-ups and just a chance to shoot this shit with all of you. And here's my promise to uh, all of you and the listeners. I promise not to choose Superman 2 as one of my favorite movies of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if the... Um... If, if the temperatures over there don't kill you, Trev, maybe the shock will when you do your next uh, Days of Future podcast <laughs> and you have to talk about Channing Tatum directing all the future X-Men films. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if, like, Fox, because they're, like, going out of business, they literally just opened up, like, the backlots and shit and let Channing Tatum shoot, like, 10 to 12 Edward-style X-Men films? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'd be all for it. You might as well do something crazy like that on the way out. You know? I know, I know. I want to see like pictures and video of like the biggest debaucher, most debaucherous, you know, party going on on the Fox backlot. Like it would be like, it'd be like when Hong Kong officially became a part of mainland China again. They have that big blowout celebration, and it's like whenever it hits midnight or whatever, everybody's freedom is over. I would love to fucking be there at that party. I feel like it's probably more like Woodstock '99. Oh. <laughs> This could be playing. <laughs> All right, so we're going to dive right into it. Um, since we, you know, we have a full roster tonight, we made an executive decision uh, for our favorite movies here. We did make a top ten list each, but we're going to kind of run through our bottom five rather quickly. Just say the name and maybe a quick point or two about what you liked about those movies. So um, I figured we'd. Uh, Go around the table here. I'll get it started. I'm going to go number 10 on my list. And this is actually literally a movie I watched 48 hours ago. But I was glad I was able to cram it in. Because it's something I've actually been looking forward to a few years. And this was a little film called The Billionaire Boys Club. With uh, Taron Egerton and uh, Ansel Elgort. And uh, this was just a true life case of basically some Hollywood kids that started an investment firm. Which is really a Ponzi scheme. And uh, basically, because it was a Ponzi scheme, the results were too good to be true. They attracted lots of uh, criminal types wanting to invest money with them, and they were money-hungry, so they took the money, and uh, a lot of stuff happened, uh, murders, whatnot, just really crazy based on a real-life case, which I was really famous when I was a kid. And you might be saying to yourself, wow, those, you know, Taron Egerton and Ansel Elgort, they're kind of big stars. How come I haven't heard about this movie? How come it has a DVD-only release, not even Blu-ray, DVD? Well, unfortunately, one of the con men that they run into in the film was played by none other than the late, great Kevin Spacey. So that's why it's... <laughs> that, that'll do it. <laughs> yep, that's why this movie... Who, who, to be fair, in the film, he portrays a flamboyant uh, homosexual gentleman who has an uh, implied flair for young younger men. So that was just... That's why this film got buried to... But uh, just, you know, a fun, uh, almost like the kind of like that Wolf of Wall Street vibe a little bit, but with a much darker edge. Yeah. Billionaire Boys Club. Uh, I, just not to interrupt or anything, but uh, well, I am interrupting. Um, there's there's a weird thing where I don't you feel like don't, I don't know if anyone else feels like this. Ansel Elgort and uh, Taron Egerton get like confused a lot. And I don't know if it's just like something where their names are kind of yeah, similar. Are too similar. Yeah. 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 And to have them in the same movie is it seems like a, a kind of a, a weird play almost. And another weird thing well, too was there was the rumors that they both at one point were in the running to play Han Solo. So 
that's even weirder. It's not to say they both have names that sound like Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do. But uh, good for Ansel Elgort. He almost got uh, typecast as a young kid who owes Kevin Spacey money. Exactly. (laughs) I wonder how he's going to repay him. What? You never know. And there also was a, uh, just one last tidbit about this film. There was a fake Andy Warhol in it. So I always give props to movies. There's been many fake Andy Warhols in films over the years, played by a variety of different actors. But it's just kind of so shocking in, in you know, 2018, whatever, to see a movie that's still referencing Andy Warhol, because I feel like he's been completely forgotten in the pulp culture. So, so yeah, so, so to throw it around the table, Matt, what do you have on your number 10? Oh man! Uh, so I'm I'm assuming that some of these are going to be in, in some people's top five, but I started with uh, Overlord, which I mean, zombies, Nazis, like all the cool stuff, right? JJ um, JJ Abram, Abrams produced it, and it was tied to the whole Cloverfield deal, and they were like, "Well, we're kind of going to make a Cloverfield movie, but kind of not." And and thank God that they decided to not tie this to the Cloverfield quote-unquote expanded universe or whatever that is because it's a really fun movie takes place on d-day you got some crazy nazi zombies running around and a lot of it's just really fun um they were gonna make it a cloverfield movie but then they were like oh wait this is actually good exactly right (laughs) it was too good for the name I uh, I w- th- this next one I know will be on somebody's top five. Sorry to bother you. So we'll save the details for that. But that's a that's you're a just, really fun you're movie. You're just skipping. Yeah, man. You're just, you're just going through because we because Goat did his number ten and then well, passed this is it off. Nine. You're just you're yeah, just you're, we're all doing a number ten right now. Through. Oh yeah, my bad. Well, this is number ten. I will stay with Overlord. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No yeah. I just have this weird thing. I don't know why, but it, every time I check my thing, it tells me it's it's using the wrong mic, but it's really using the right mic. So if you guys can hear me, it's using the right mic. It's just weird. But uh, was that all you had to say about Overlord, Matt? Yeah, man. All right. I like Overlord. Yeah, Overlord's a fun. I didn't make my list, but it's a, it's definitely a fun movie that genre fans should check out. Oh, definitely. Haven't gotten to it yet. Me either. Me and uh, Bird are on the naughty list. So since we're on the naughty list, I'll throw it to Bird. Bird, what do you got on number ten? Number ten. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to show up higher than uh, than this for some other people. So we, you know, won't get into too much detail. But that's upgrade. Um. Uh, by Lee Whannell, uh, just a really solid and enjoyable um, kind of biopunk type of movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it'll it'll tickle the the RoboCop fan, uh, the body horror fan, uh, probably the Venom fan. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they have low standards, so. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Real quick, Bird, I can't remember. Did you see Venom? I can't remember. I did not. Okay. okay. He that thought was a, that was, Venom that and was Upgrade were the it. same movie, though. Yeah. That's what Bird thinks. Logan Marshall Green, um, the guy that everyone knows is the fake Tom Hardy. He's really good in it. Uh, it's just really well done. 
And uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you guys will be getting into this one later. So my number 10 is Upgrade. Awesome. We'll roll on over to Jelly. Jelly, what you got at the 10 spot? Uh, my 10th spot is uh, a Netflix movie, um, Apostle. I don't know if this is higher on anyone else's list, so uh, if if it's if it is, you guys can stop me. But uh, you know, um, when I wrote up my review for this movie on uh, Letterboxd, I said "sweet sassy molassy." Um, <laughs> It, 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 this was a movie I remember when I watched it. I kind of watched it like exactly the right time. It was like a really good change of pace for me. Um, it's a little bit slower, a little bit more atmospheric, a little bit more brooding. Um, but at the same time, with all those kind of like dark and grim words being thrown at it, um, the colors and the cinematography of this movie really pop. And it's like a really refreshing movie to look at. Um, it, it just like all the colors and everything seems so natural. And that, that was really refreshing for me when I, when I watched this, um, Dan Stevens has this, uh, has this great quality of him. That's like, he's got like a bit of an unintentional hilarity to him. Uh, and that breaks through here and there in this, and it, it, it kind of undercuts a moment or two, but also there's like a charm to it. Um, and I don't know, it's just, I felt like you watched the movie and you could tell as, as intense as it was at times, everyone had a, a great time making it and it's just a really unique movie. Um, and I really liked it a lot. So it was apostle. Awesome. Yeah. I heard about yeah, it. I really like, yeah, I, I really like apostle. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good, uh, especially f- compared to other Netflix films, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. just in general, just in general, it is a really fun horror film. Nice. Have to check that out. Senior Trevor, uh, KS Un Pelicula in a DC spot. Okay, uh, I know I often get pegged as like the superhero uh, nerd here or whatever, but surprisingly enough, my number 10 is the only superhero film that makes my list. It's probably not the one. Oh, no, wait, that's a total lie. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, in terms of like the early releases, uh, it's the one that like the summer in the summer year, like months, you might have thought it was not the one I would have picked. And that's Incredibles 2 is my number 10. Uh, I liked this much more than any of the MCU movies this year. Um, I know there's a lot of reasons to be worried about Incredibles 2. You know, Pixar hasn't been as strong lately. There was the long gap in between. There was just a, is it just going to be more of the same? And I guess ultimately it is more the same, but you're just kind of reminded that that's kind of okay because Brad Bird really has this formula down. Uh, you know, he's still making better Fantastic Four movies than anyone else has been able to make. And I thought, like, even though it's you know it wasn't highly original, it didn't it didn't blow me away in terms of wow, I didn't expect to see that as the as the sequel. It was just great to spend time with these characters again and be reminded of how much fun it was the first time and kind of go back to that world. And uh, actually, in retrospect. The long wait might have helped, actually, just make you a little nostalgic for it. If this had come out maybe two years after Incredibles, I might have been like, well, that's kind of like just more of the same. But that long wait really made it feel like, wow, I'm coming back to something I loved before and uh, hadn't had a chance to revisit in a while. So now I'm kind of hoping Incredibles 3 is like another like eight or nine years down the, ro- down the road. Yeah, I got another say, solid pick. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. I saw it like very late in this theatrical run, and I'm, I'm glad I caught it because, yeah. Still haven't seen the first Incredibles, which I got to remedy that quick. So, going around the block again, 
Uh, number nine on my list, I don't have too much to say, um, is the Steven Soderbergh horror movie Unsane. Um, there was a lot of hype about this um, in terms of being shot on, I guess, iPhones or something. Don't let that scare you off, horror fans. It's very... You know, it has a good uh, atmosphere and look. It doesn't. It doesn't look like something that's super cheaply shot. There's like a couple scenes where, um, like, you can tell kind of the colors are a little drab, and there's a couple scenes where you can tell they use a fisheye lens. But other than that, there's nothing about this movie to not make you think it's you know a regular, you know, budgeted horror film. And uh, I don't want to say too much because it's just one of those movies right from the bat. It's the basic premise is, is this, is the main character crazy, or is she not crazy, is she getting framed, is she whatever, in this insane asylum, and uh, I, you know, for, for being a claustrophobic th thriller, I thought they really kind of upped it, especially in the third act, and it, like, the third act really just took me back to even, like, older, you know, horror films from the 80s and whatnot, so I would say Unsane's really good, even, even though it has, like, a really prestigious actress in the lead, it, it it definitely has some really cool uh, you know exploitation uh, you know horror vibes to it, so I definitely recommend Unsane to all the horror heads out there. Matt, cool. That's what that's one what I, I missed. That, that, yeah, that's what I missed and still want to see. I really like Soderbergh. Yeah. So. I, I uh I didn't groove on it as much as Goat, um, but you know it's one of those movies where I I fall down on it where I'm like, I could see either either view. Um, if if you really liked it. Yeah, sure. There's there's definitely stuff to like in it, and if you really didn't, yeah, there's there's stuff that's not gonna rub everyone the right way. Um, so I came down a little more in the middle on it, but um, yeah, Claire Foy is is really good in it. Yeah, she is. Going around the block again, Matt. What do you have in your number nine slot? Sorry to bother you, which I know is going to be much higher on a few other people's lists. But well, um, Matt, 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 just let me quick, quickly jump in and say, "Sorry to bother you" is also my number nine, so we can kind of double team this one. So. Sweet. Um, I mean, look, it, this movie goes in places that you're just not prepared for and ready, and and it's just there's so much inherent quirkiness and goofiness about it and everything about it really works very well uh also we get some cool stuff from danny glover who's you know he feels like a national treasure at this point so uh really fun movie i watched it with a couple of my friends and everybody seemed to really enjoy it and uh yeah sorry to bother you is great yeah it's it's exactly that like i said i'm sure other people are going to talk about it a little higher so i'll just say um I, it's not the movie you think it is going in. And I was actually prepared to just enjoy the movie I thought. Because if you just watched the trailer, I would have liked that movie too. But yep. it goes in a totally different direction <laughs> that you just can't see coming. And it's it's got a, like a mind-blowing final act. And it's the kind of film that I'm pretty sure for the next you know 10 or so years, as long as you can kind of keep it a secret, it's going to be a movie I'm going to have a lot of fun introducing to a lot of people. Be like, oh, you haven't seen this? Well, we got to watch this. And then just watch their face as the, as the secrets uh, get unveiled. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's higher on my list, so I'll be talking about it. Uh, yeah, it's higher on my more, list but, too. Yeah, no, I, it's uh, so it's on everybody's it's list but mine, and that's only because I haven't seen it. So I definitely got to get there, get on this one quicker than later. So yeah, Bird, what do you got? Uh, so my uh, I well, I think I'm the only person that has this anywhere on a list, but uh, my number nine is Black Panther. Cue all of the uh, post Oscar nominations backlash. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
You're just uh, racially yeah. obligated to put it on. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, well, I mean, it, it was definitely enjoyable to see something that was like a big pop culture moment and seeing, you know, gr- like grandparents and, and stuff, you know, going to see this movie. But I mean, for me, it's just um, it was kind of refreshing, at least for me to see a Marvel movie actually have some real kind of, I guess, social substance and um uh, I I don't think the the that it's you know up there with Winter Soldier or um, anything like that, but I I just felt like it was a kind of a solid change of pace. It wasn't quite as um, goofy as as some of the stuff that we have been getting from the MCU at that point, and uh, it was an early release, so it was it was really just a nice way to kick things off uh for me uh in 2018 and um you know as bad as some of the cg is i think that's the most common complaint across the board with it um i really liked the you know just you know the the confidence in which it portrays its its universe and um you know wakanda is like uh jack kirby drawings come to life so um yeah i i that's that's my uh my number nine, um, and uh, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger is still one of my favorite characters uh, in a movie this year. So, yeah, there you have it. Yeah, I wish he wore that mask more because it looked awesome. Also, uh, Black Panther has an awesome 3D Blu-ray out there. If anybody listening cares about that, do yourself the favor, spend the twenty bucks and import it from the UK. So I think in the number nine spot, we just have Jelly left on the list. Jelly, what you got in number nine? Um, number nine is another Netflix movie. <laughs> um, but, what are you, uh, a Netflix shill now? What's yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to in- induce these Cannes Film Festival rules and tell Jelly no more Netflix. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, a movie that... Uh, it's listed as 2017, but I don't think anyone was able to see it until 2018. Uh, it's called The Ritual. Um, it's a little tense, atmospheric uh, horror movie. Um, it gets kind of psychological, slasher, monster, all throughout its runtime. Uh, it plays off things like from the Blair Witch while not skimping on anything without spoiling it too much. Um it's kind of rare for me that a, that a horror movie um, scares me. And even though I wouldn't say that the final act of this is scary, I'd say the final act of this kind of gets more, more, uh, more monster movie and, and a little bit more just like kind of almost actiony. The, the middle of this movie um, is genuinely unnerving and had my heart kind of racing a few different times. Um, it's really, really good. Um, I really liked it a lot. I, I saw it fairly early in the year, um, but yeah, it's uh, if 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 you're a fan of any of those kinds of horror movies that I mentioned, like a psychological backwoods slasher monster movie, if that sounds appealing to you, definitely check out the Ritual. Awesome. Yeah, the Ritual really cool sweet. monster in that. Yeah, great design, and then. Uh, I know that like Bird and Jelly are weirdos about this and they don't like The Descent, but I would say that it would actually make an awesome double feature with The Descent because it's kind of like you got the all-women version and the all-men version of this kind of thing. And so nice. maybe horror fans could do it like that. Nice. 
All right, so moving on to the number eight spot is one of my picks that I'm sure to be ridiculed for, but I don't care. I'm going to lay it out there. I really enjoyed the film Gotti this summer. Um, I'm a big John Travolta fan. Been waiting for him. He's been doing a lot of directed video stuff. I want to see a, a role he could actually sink his uh, chops back into, and I think he did it good in this one of um, playing John Gotti from like roughly the age of, I guess, probably like late 30s to all the time he passed away in prison with the prosthetics on to the, depict the uh, cancer and just all kinds of stuff. I mean, I just I think he did a great job. Stacy Keach was awesome in this too. Um, just your basic uh, mob movie. I think a lot of people gave this movie shit for being very derivative of uh, Goodfellas, but I think if you kind of like connect the dots, I think you'll kind of understand that a lot of fucking stuff in Goodfellas was, yeah, it was the Henry Hill situation, but there's like a lot of similarities between the story of John Gotti and the stuff that Henry Hill went through and informed on and all that. So like, to me, to me, that's not like the most damning criticism the way it is for some people and it's been years and years since we had a mob movie so i'm not going to join in the hate i'm going to give a thumbs up to Gotti. i enjoyed it matt what do you have in number eight spot i have a feeling this will be higher on somebody's list too so feel free to stop me but i have mandy as being my uh my number eight film anybody got that uh, maybe <laughs> Mandy, yeah mandy will be talked about yeah, later. yeah. So, so i mean the, the deal with mandy the things that i loved about it uh cinematography beautiful like it just it goes from uh being very much in the realism space to like just surreal and crazy imagery and then you got nicholas cage being himself and just doing all the nicholas cage stuff and i don't think you can say a bad thing about that so i'll, I'll leave the further discussion to uh, the top five stuff, but Mandy came in at number eight. Yeah, Mandy's good. It has a we- it weirdly has like uh, a lot of heart to it too, in a way. Yeah, yeah like it. it it does, and it, it like the first half of the movie feels very different from the second half, and I don't think that's a bad thing. There's there's some some cool change of pace that it does. I agree. Bird, what do you got? Uh, okay, so. My number, uh, this is eight, right? Correct. Yes. Okay, my number eight is Apostle, uh, which Jelly just talked about. I don't have too much to add to what he said. Um, it it really kind of did everything that I wanted it to, and I, I'm really into the kind of folk horror kind of movies, stuff like The Wicker Man and... Um, Blood on Satan's Claw, The Witch, uh, and this was another movie kind of in that um, in that in that wheelhouse. And uh, yeah, I I just really enjoyed it. That one is on Netflix. Uh, again, if anyone out there hasn't heard of it, um, that one's easy to find if you have Netflix. So awesome, Jelly. What you got rolling at number eight? Um. I guess I guess we'll have to change Marvel Trev to Marvel Jelly. Oh. Uh, I've got Avengers Infinity War. Um, I run really hot and cold on the MCU to the point where, like, I've given up kind of caring about the movies and the universe as a whole. And in a way, that's kind of really helped me to more appreciate the ones that I like. It's kind of easier for me to just take it movie to movie, and um, if I find one or another like that 
to be overhyped, like um, Black Panther or even Thor Ragnarok, which I liked quite a bit, but I just thought like it got kind of insanely rave reviews and I was just like, oh, it was good. You know, Um, I can just kind of focus more on like the standouts of the 20 movies that exist that I do really, really like. Um, And this was one of them. Uh, Thanos is just like the best villain they've created in 20 movies. Um, He absolutely delivered. The uh, relationships were all there. And like, I don't care that they were fake out deaths because like, I mean, how many movies do we watch where we already know the ending and it's already spoiled and all that stuff in this movie in the, this movie itself, the deaths all matter and have an impact, and um, it all works. And I really, really got swept up in this movie, and and it's one of the few movies I've I've watched more than once this year, and I really liked it a lot. Uh, it's higher on my list, so uh, I'll have more to say on that later. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I will it say, does have it does have the worst maybe the worst character I've seen in a movie this year, at least in a, <laughs> in a movie I liked. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're. I know. I, I know the one you're talking about. I guess we'll save that for the next time somebody brings it up. But Trav, what do you have at number eight? Uh, so my number eight is Upgrade, the uh, the Lee Wan L film. This was already talked about earlier, but yeah, it, it definitely it totally feels like a cool like '80s sci-fi strange action film that got somehow like you know someone accidentally tripped and fell and it fell into a sewer while they were taking it to the theater and uh we just uncovered it you know it's like this like this time vault or something so anybody who you know fans of this show in particular who love those kind of messed up 80s body horror sci-fi Verhoeven kind of flicks will probably definitely be able to get down with this one so and then it definitely makes me excited to see, you know, more from Lee Wanell. I think I already liked him, but this seemed like such a step up in terms of filmmaking skill that now, you know, the, the announcement that he's doing Invisible Man seems like really exciting after seeing what he could do with this. So, uh, yeah, upgrade. I agree completely. All right. Coming around the horn again. Number seven, uh, just a movie. I don't have a whole lot to say, but I got Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie that. I think blew a lot of people away when it first came out. And then there was like a lot of backlash about, oh, it's not that good of a movie or it's not that good of a biopic. But either way, it's made a ton of money. I just thought it was interesting. Well, now they're wrestling with the Brian Singer problem, too. R- right, which as people were seeing it in the theater for the third and fourth time, they didn't have a problem with. But when it comes to giving <laughs> awards out, all of a sudden, <laughs> we got morals. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I just... You know, I really liked the movie. Um, I think it was a little bit different than other musical biopics. I liked how they kind of focused on some bits in the band's history, kind of showing the creation of some of their more famous songs. I thought that was unique. And uh, just as just as a film character, period, I really, uh, really enjoyed the Freddie Mercury character uh, going from just a kind of socially awkward, uh, I guess, teen, early 20s guy to... Uh, you know, n- not really like, you know, going anywhere musically to just getting in this band and just like one of the, you know, the most uh, most beloved uh, rock singers of all time is like I like how the movie kind of frames it. It's it's almost like a little bit of a fairy tale and whatnot. So, yeah, I thought there was a lot to like about Bohemian Rhapsody. Matt, what do you got on uh, number seven list? Hereditary. Um, I kind of went in expecting 
well, not not to like it as much, but it, it's it was. I mean, it's really really well done, and it, the it's just extremely, I guess, mean spirited at times, and I and, and that kind of draws you in. I think my biggest issue with the film would, would be the way that it ends, and we might talk about that because I fully expect this to be on somebody else's list. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a great horror film and i think the character dynamics work really well and um tony collette i mean she she kills it i mean she absolutely kills this film and it's it's one of those things that from start to finish i was honestly riveted and you know up until that last segment at the end um but yeah i mean it's a great movie and if you haven't seen it you definitely should matt you and i are on like a wavelength because hereditary is also my number seven um so I'll just quickly jump in and say, yeah, everything that says is dead on. It's a, a fantastic horror film. It's always exciting to see a cool horror debut, kind of a new voice. Um, also exciting whenever a film gets a lot of hype on the festival circuit and then actually lives up to that hype. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get your expectations up a little too high. And yeah, one of the like the biggest compliments I can pay this film is that even that I, a diehard horror fan, that you know it's pretty hard to impress me and, and make me scared. But I was getting anxious watching this in the theater. There's some moments that like really unsettled me. And uh, yeah. Oh, and also, yes, can we finally stop talking about Meryl Streep and start talking about Toni Collette more as a culture? Because she's, I think, probably our, I, I would say there's a strong argument to be made that she's the best actress working right now. Yeah, she's always good. Mm-hmm. I have her at a Terry higher. Yeah, I, really... I have it much higher. So yeah, we'll be getting there. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> good movie. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, Jelly, what do you got? Um, my number seven uh, was already talked about a little bit, but uh, it's uh, Incredibles two. Um, I uh, I think a lot of times when you see a movie, the circumstances that you see it under can uh, can obviously have a pretty big effect on on just your how you feel about the movie. Um, this was the first movie I took my daughter to see in a theater, um, and. Uh, it just like get it, you know, kind of getting to see a, a movie like through kind of someone else's eyes almost a little bit. And, you know, um, some of the extra humor that I got out of it, like uh, there's a scene in the movie where the baby is fighting a raccoon um, and it's funny enough on its own. But uh, but then, you know, as the whole audience is laughing, my daughter was like, why is everyone laughing? This isn't funny. This is just good. Um <laughs> So, it, it, you know, like you, you get that kind of like extra kick of humor out of it. But um, also just on its own, like I had been getting very cold on uh, on Pixar lately. I'd been growing very tired of them just constantly like being like I call them uh, tear exploitation um, where they just want to make adults cry and make them sad that their childhood is over. Um, this is finally the Pixar that I like back again which is it's just a fun adventure movie that like has some adult themes but balances all that better with a sense of wonder and awe and some silly humor and it it just it all worked so much better for me than any pixar movie of the last like since toy story 3 um so yeah my number seven is incredibles 2 awesome trev what do you got for number seven Oh, well, hereditary. I was just... Oh, that's right. My bad. So, have we made the rounds on number seven? Everybody did a number seven. Did Bird? Did I do number seven? Oh, I don't know if you did. Did Bird do? 
I don't know. Uh, Bert, you're talking about your number seven. We're, yeah, we're I don't think. Bert okay, is no, no. I think. Seven. I think. Yeah, I think I need to do my number seven. Okay, uh, go ahead, which <laughs> uh, is Black Klansman. Um, uh, entertaining, tragic, funny, uh, relevant. Sadly, uh, these are all words that spring to mind. Um, the cast is great: John David Washington, Adam Driver, Topher Grace. Um, just, just really kill it. And more than anything. Uh, uh, this is the first movie in a few years that, well, I guess the first non-documentary movie in a few years, few years from Spike Lee that remind you, like, hey, this guy's insane, but he also like when he puts his mind to it and can focus on something, he's actually a good filmmaker, and that's easy to forget. He's uh, uh, kind of like the black Woody Allen where he makes like a movie a year and like every there's maybe one or two every 10 years. It's actually really good. And this is, uh, this is his, uh, turn for, for, for this decade. Uh, we'll see what else he has in store. Although I have heard Chirac was good, but, um, but yeah, uh, if you've forgotten, you can make a good movie. Um, black Klansman is it. Yeah, I like Black Klansman. Yeah, I only saw it just like a week ago. And yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And I, and one of the, I mean, obviously the, the film had a great reputation, but I'm actually a fan of um, the main actor in it, uh, John David Washington. I think he's one of the more underrated up-and-coming uh, actors. I think he's going to be big. Yeah, he's the son of Denzel Washington. It is correct. And it's kind of weird because when you first see them, you kind of like... I, I don't know, how, like, you don't really see the resemblance, but then when you see him acting, and especially, I think, when you kind of hear the voice a little bit, certain words, you're like, yeah, that's definitely... Yeah, they, awesome. they share some uh, some mannerisms, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Black Klansman is great. Um, I know me and Jelly disagreed a little bit about the last couple minutes, which is... Um, I'll just say it's harrowing <laughs> uh, in a way that... Um, I, I don't know. It's just sad. I mean, watch this on a double bill with Detroit mm. and um, oh, God. try to feel Every good. soul crushed. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had yeah. this uh, higher, um, but yeah, that last okay. couple minutes. Oof. Oh, that's brutal. All right. So going in the number six spot again, not a whole lot to say. This is just a movie type of movie that used to be made like a lot. Um, and uh, they don't make too much anymore, so I kind of enjoyed the genre coming back. And I'm talking about the um, kind of espionage spy thriller Red Sparrow, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I, I, I don't like all her movies, but I like a lot of her performances. And I thought she did like a really, from A to Z, great performance. The movie starts out, she's a ballerina, her leg gets broke, all this shit happens, she gets you know, basically uh, uh, recruited into the KGB and whatnot, becomes a spy and all kinds of shit. I know the film had a bad reputation for being too, too, um, I guess, uh, sexually explicit or violent and violence and whatnot, but it, it, I just, for me, everything hit home. I'm also a big Joel Edgerton fan. I thought he was great in this, too. So as dark and grimy and everything as it was, I really enjoyed from beginning to end all the twists and turns and everything in uh, Red Sparrow. So, yeah, so that's my number six. Matt, what you got in the number six spot? 
I have a puzzle, um, and one of the things, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, but one of the things that appeals to me specifically is because uh, I do happen to go to church and participate in faith, and I always like seeing how um, that plays out when you're dealing with things like the occult and how the abuse of religion and the control and the things that happen that go along with it, and this movie very much plays those things up, and it does it in a, in a really, I mean, just fantastic and also haunting fashion. Also, I mean, Gareth Evans, I, I love um, – I just saw these actually this year, but The Raid 1 and 2, I mean, those are mm-hmm. also movies that he directed, and um, those he's are good. two yeah. – yeah, he's great. I mean, I, I don't think I can say anything negative about that, but Apostle is uh, – yeah, it's good. We'll talk about it more in a sec. Awesome. Bird, what do you got at number six? Uh, number six, I have Mandy. Um and uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is going to pop up again, uh, so I, I won't say too much. But um, yeah, I just uh, it was just refreshing to me. I loved the aesthetic. Um, Nicholas Cage, you get every version of Nicholas Cage in this. You get the over-the-top Nicholas Cage. You get the actually very good dramatic actor Nicholas Cage. Um, and uh, I'd seen this director's previous movie. Um, the uh, under the black rainbow and i i didn't really care much for it but mandy uh i was really impressed by um and uh yeah it just combines so many things uh horror um revenge uh and like even a little bit of like lovecrafty lovecraftian elements uh i mean it just puts them all together in a really unique way um and it's not just someone you know trying to be another david lynch it's like you know it's it's a weird in a a way that's uniquely its own um and that's all i really have to say about it for now um but uh yeah it's it was one of the big surprises for me this year because you know you you wouldn't you never get you never know what you're gonna get when you get these nicholas cage indie genre movies you know there seems like they can go one way or the other but uh mandy was really good yeah it was and speaking of surprises with mandy i thought it was very cool that it was like one of the real indie success stories uh, in terms of it had very very limited uh theatrical bookings and uh, they did so well they kept adding more and more and all these weird impromptu screenings like I even saw there was one uh, I believe was um, was like a screening on like an inflatable screen on a rooftop in LA. It was so crazy. Like it was really cool. I thought to see the kind of Mandy mania that was going on earlier this year. And uh, is as strange as of a movie as it is. It's kind of like I said when um, it was brought up earlier. I think it does have like an actual kind of heart to it that a lot of people can connect to, and that's a way. That's something that. A lot of these more surrealist kind of movies don't have, um, right. and so yeah, I, I think I think yeah, I think it connected to people in a way that was unexpected. Most definitely. So, Jelly, what do you got on the number six? Um, I don't have anything new to say about this one that anyone else hasn't already said, but my number six is Upgrade. Um, just funny, smart. Ish. I mean, you know, for for this kind of movie, um, action packed, well written, enough of a heart to kind of pull you through and, and string you through it, and uh, and Logan Marshall Green gives a hell of a performance. Um, this is this is one I I haven't 
had a chance to revisit yet, but like I'm kind of like looking forward to being able to revisit it. Um, this is it's like um, if Monkey Shines was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if Monkey one shines. of my friends, <laughs> one of my friends said it was like John Wick uh, had a baby with Black Mirror. Oh, wow. <laughs> Trev, what do you got on your number six spot? Uh, my number six spot is one that I'm fairly sure this will be the only time it's talked about because uh, I think only one other person here saw it. And I know he wasn't super hot on it, but my number six is the remake of Suspiria. So uh, this is I don't know. This struck like a lot of like what I look for in horror. I'm not here to even say it's perfect because I'll admit there's some flaws to it. I do think it's a little long, and I think it it kind of doesn't actually accomplish some of the themes it's trying to go for. But that's also part of what I like about it is that it's just so damn ambitious. And I'm at a point now where I kind of value ambition over a lot of other stuff in filmmaking and and so i was just kind of a, really impressed with this idea of taking you know the classic argento film which yes is obviously still better but just taking that and saying hey instead of just doing like a total rip of that let's just take the general idea of it and go completely our own way make almost the inverse of that film so whereas the argento film is really bright and colorful we'll make this kind of muted and a little darker uh, whereas that one is short, we'll make this kind of longer. This one will be more political, have more deep themes. You know, that one, like it's not style over substance. This is much more substance over style, and yet also still contains some of the most brutal imagery and one of the most horrifying death scenes of the year. Awesome performances, just a, a really unique take on the source material, and one that I think is like a really cool companion piece to the original. I look forward to over the years kind of offering them up to people as a kind of a neat little double bill. So I was really impressed with this. Uh, and I, I, it's even like that I, I see how divisive it is. It's that kind of film that a lot of people love it and a lot of people hate it. And even that makes it kind of even cooler to me because that usually means you're doing something right in art if you're getting those kind of extreme reactions. Yeah, Trev. Um, <laughs> that's what they said about the Godzilla anime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I well, all I was gonna say is uh, it didn't get a strong reaction from me one way or the other. It was just I wasn't I into it, but I didn't hate it, and I just I I, I don't know. I I just thought it was kind of boring and didn't care much but I, I definitely uh, agree with like the positives that Trev said in that you know you, you take on a movie like Suspiria you know you better not just be some hack with no originality or vision for it and that's definitely not what this is you know it's 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 a, a filmmaker making his version of, of something and really putting his own unique spin on it that is saying something um, it's just, it didn't land for me personally, but I mean, everything Trev said is accurate in that, um, it, it's not just, a this hackneyed, oh, we're going to remake Suspiria just cause kind of thing. Like it, it, it does have a point to it. Well, I think it's the kind of film that there's probably not going to be anybody out there who just kind of likes it, right? If it's the kind of film where if it's on your wavelength, you're going to love it. So I think that's, I mean, I, I think that's kind of admirable too. Yeah, my main gripe with this movie, well, first of all, is I haven't, I haven't seen it, but my main gripe was <laughs> this pretty good gripe. Yeah, th- this movie was <laughs> this wasn't a movie that was released as much as it escaped, and I just glanced at the box office, which worldwide was a six million dollars, um, and uh, after months and months of hype, 
Um, I remember months before this even came out, there was talk of maybe Oscar talk because, of course, the director, Luca Guadagnino, or whatever his name is, they called me by your name. And, like, when it came down to it, they basically, Amazon, the distributor, released Beautiful Boy, which it's not on my list, but I did enjoy that movie as well. They kind of just swept Suspiria away to say, okay, Beautiful Boy is our Oscar whatever, and we're going to push this hard. And, and Beautiful Boy came out after Suspiria, and Beautiful Boy is already on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think that's just to you know, make it available for awards consideration. But, Trev, I was going to ask you, man, considering that they really didn't make any money off Suspiria and they didn't try to, do you think this was a case where instead of all this months of hype and then a theatrical release and waiting three months for, you know, because actually today, January 29th, it's finally coming out on Blu-ray and then whenever it comes yep, on Amazon I Prime. got mine today. Yeah, do you think this would have been one of those cases where, because the box office honestly was chump change to Amazon, maybe with all that hype that this movie had going for it for a while, they should have just dumped it straight on, not dumped it, but put it straight on Prime so it kind of could have had that Netflix like mushroom cloud re reception and got that hype that way, you know? I mean, maybe. I, you know, I think I do. I'm glad I got to see it on the big screen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It could have been maybe more of a sleeper hit in streaming. I don't know. I think I really think it is the kind of thing. It's a double edged sword. I think it's really cool. They let him make the movie he wanted to make and didn't step in. And then I also think at the end of the day, when they looked at the product, they were probably expecting something more like what Argento originally delivered. And they're like, wait, you, you're giving us a really heady, like, biz bizarre political allegory that requires a lot of essays and stuff for afterwards. So sure just freaked him out and it is what it is but i think uh, i think it's already finding its following and ultimately the box office doesn't matter to me too much in the long run because it's just I've, i'm already seeing diehard fans have long discussions about it and that'll continue on so whatever oops they're bad <laughs> i do think it's weird that they they did like i heard a lot about this for a while and then it was like all right, you can see it at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, and if you don't, then tough shit. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, once you once you guys see it, you won't you'll get like if they put this out and give it a big mainstream release, I, I think there would have been a bigger backlash against it. I think playing it to an art crowd is probably the, the right move to make on a two and a half hour film like this. So they were probably nervous about throwing it out there for the regular popcorn munchers because it probably would have got a much more visceral uh, anti reaction. It would have been Mother Part Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, we we made it relatively quickly um, through ten through six. Uh, we'll take a a slight break from the favorites here because I don't like to end any episode on a negative note. But real quick, we'll go around the table. What was your least favorite or your most disappointing movie of twenty eighteen? Myself, I'm just gonna say Shane Black's The Predator. Uh, they filmed this movie more or less twice. This was almost like a solo situation. And from what I've seen and heard, I don't think either version would have been very good. And the final version, like, it starts out with a pretty cool predator killing a lot of people. And then we quickly segue to a, I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, a much lamer CGI predator. And to me, the rest of the movie drugs. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely giving a... Not even like a hateful thumbs down, but a very disappointed thumbs down to the Predator. Matt, well, what? I hated the Predator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not good. The, yeah. the my favorite comment about the Predator was that it doesn't feel like a Shane Black movie. It feels like the movie Shane Black's character from the first Predator movie would make. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
Jeez, you got a big body. <laughs> yeah, if that guy made a Predator movie, it's the Predator. Um, this is going to be one that I think I'm going to have some uh, a lot of agreement on, and that's uh, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. As fuck that movie. Yeah, I mean, as, as one of a few people in this very uh, on, on this episode today that are diehard Godzilla fans, this is the be- This is this is the worst thing the franchise has ever churned out, and I, I, it is exasperating. The, the the quality of writing, the quality of animation, the fact that it promises a mecha Godzilla that doesn't actually even show up and ends up being a literal city. I. And, and the most frustrating thing for me as a fan is that I see people trying to to stretch to great lengths in order to find some sort of artistic value in this film. And unfortunately, all three, the you know the first movie that came out, this movie, and the one that came out actually in uh, just recently, uh, Planet Eater, they are the three worst Godzilla anythings ever. And uh, yeah, don't watch it. It's awful. I'm going to piggyback on that because this is my – um, it's weird because Goat said most disappointing after the first one. This this was not a disappointment anymore. Um, but yeah, this was my most hated movie of the year. I mean, I hated this thing so much that um, it, it was like a a massive indifference kind of hatred that like I've never experienced with any Godzilla anything any before. Um, every time. We've had a, a major like monster release since uh, Matt and Bird have been doing their podcast. I've been I've kind of made it a point to either get on their show or try to see the movie and and get on their show. Um, I think I like missed like Rampage and and maybe Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, which was also a huge piece of shit. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I always try to get on it. And this movie, like, I saw it, and they were like, hey, want to record with us? And I was like, no. Um, I, I You came back for the third one. Yeah, I did, because that one actually had, like, some things to talk about that were hateable. This was just a, a blank slate of of awful i i it's it's a mind-bogglingly terrible experience um and this this whole experiment was absolutely atrocious uh there's a really good article on uh sci-fi that um it was written by your buddy bird um patrick uh, yeah galvan. patrick galvan yeah yeah. Uh, yeah but that uh it it, it kind of details what failed so badly about these anime movies and and the the basic idea is it comes down to um there actually are occasionally a couple of decent ideas but they're all thrust to the side in favor of just spouting like made-up science um and it's just excruciating to watch i hated every second of it (laughs) and just to clarify um these are uh, Godzilla films that are uh, animated, they call them animes, and in America, I, they're kind of rolled out to some fanfare on Netflix. They're, uh, yeah, they're Netflix originals yeah. everywhere except for Japan, I think. So gotcha. But is it, it? Do I have this right, or I have this screwed up? Even though these are animated films, it seems like it's really hitting like a nerve with the fans because. Even though it's an animated film, it's supposed to be within continuity of the live-action films, right? 
No. No? No, nah, it's okay. yeah, it's totally it, and that's weird because the, the live action movies don't have much continuity anyways. <laughs> um but yeah, they are it's not like a thing where where Toho is saying that they're not Godzilla movies. Like they are considered the what is it, thirty second, thirty third, and thirty fourth entries in yeah. the franchise. Right. Um and um and and yeah, they're they're just they're just putrid sacks of shit. Talk about a waste of the medium too, because I mean I, I'm a fan of anime. I mean I watch enough of it, Attack on Titan and, and My Hero Academia and different things, and the the movie doesn't give you anything to latch onto visually at all. Uh, 3D animation is atrocious, and every time Godzilla takes a step, it's like, is he actually moving or is the character just like static? Oh, you and, know. You know what's crazy too? To, just to, I'm sorry because it's it's if I don't say it, it's gonna it's gonna I'm gonna lose it because um, I thought of it and then I and then I lost it and then I'm thinking of it right now. I just am watching like I'm in the middle basically of Nausicaa Val- of the Valley of the Wind. Yep. And the Miyazaki. Film. Yeah, there's um there's a a lot of similarities in terms of the uh, the setting. You know, being an, an Earth that is poisonous, that's far-flung future, that humanity's trying to somewhat reclaim. And uh, setting aside the, the different goals, right, you know, of, like, the difference between, like, a, kind of like a, a, a movie about, like, hope and the savior of humanity versus a movie about, like, how every, everyone sucks ass and deserves to die. Um Setting aside that, just the the use of animation and the use of the setting, like Nausicaa is this like really amazing use of the setting of a of a Earth that is no longer inhabitable, and yeah, the the Godzilla anime is just like, hey, here's this crazy whole planet that is totally different than the one that you know, and everyone's just gonna stand inside of hallways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's I mean that's that's very accurate and you know that Toho was allowing them to basically like the the first film introduces a bunch of monsters but it does it in the in the first 5 minutes and it tells you with a, a lot of exposition, re, exposition really quickly, that all these different monsters showed up and attacked and eventually Godzilla killed those monsters but we never see any of those things. And this film kind of continues with that where we don't get a lot of anything happening to be honest. And the final battle is like Godzilla blows the the city up and falls asleep. And I mean, it's just it's one of those things where he falls asleep. Yeah, that's actually a common theme in the in this series. He does it multiple times. He does it in the first film, the second film, and he awakes from his nap in the third film. He's like a cute, sleepy old man. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, he he definitely has that has that feeling. And it's just one of those things where. I, I don't know, man. I'm the, I am the guy that if anybody's going to like it, I like anime, I like Godzilla, just give me something, and I could have made some excuse to enjoy something within the film, but this does none of those things. Wow. It's, it sounds like... <laughs> Bird, do you have another pick, or did you also equally <laughs> yeah. hate this shitty Godzilla? Uh, yeah, I mean... Um... I, I, my my pick would be Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle, part two of the anime trilogy. Uh, the first and third parts aren't very good, but this one especially is just a waste of everybody's time, including the people that made it. And uh, I don't have much to add to what they said. Um, 
I never thought I would I would f- get so such a small amount of enjoyment from a, a Godzilla anything right. as I did this. It's it's the worst movie in the series of thirty four. <laughs> so I mean, let that speak for itself. Um, uh, I, I I mean, I guess we're gonna go to Trev next. So I'll segue into that by saying. Uh, Trev doesn't have the attachment to Godzilla that we do, and he was smart enough to bail after the first entry in this, and uh, yeah. I'll let him take it away with whatever the heck his worst movie of the year was. Yeah, well, I thought about that, because I, I was pretty sure you guys were all going to pick that Godzilla travesty as your least favorite, and they said, I, I only watched the first one, I hated it, and in all honesty, that probably is the worst movie I watched this year, was the first Godzilla anime, but because I didn't watch the other two, and because I knew you guys were going to cover it, I decided I'd shine the spotlight on something else here and say my other least favorite film of the year is another Netflix uh, dump out, and that's Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, <laughs> also, really early in the oh, year. Um, I forgot all about that. Uh, I mean, the Godzilla is still mine, but yeah, since none of us talked about it, yeah, this you got to get this one in. Well, I mean, this, so, you know, in the long run in the history books, the story of Chlorophyll Paradox will always be a kind of cool. And I mean, I, I give it up to them. The fact that, you know, it was a, it was announced with a surprise, you know, Super Bowl trailer and the trailer was like at the end of the game, this is actually going to be online. That That's pretty cool. You got to hand it to them. And the thing is, that tricked a lot of us because we were all like, oh, shit, I got to go watch this new Cloverfield movie. And then the problem was we all watched this new Cloverfield movie and it is just terrible. And, you know, the thing is, like those Godzilla animes, they might be horrible, but at least you could point at that and say, well, that's the franchise trying something new or whatever. The, the bad thing about Cloverfield Paradox is it's just the laziest kind of sci-fi garbage. It offers no original storytelling. It's just the same shit we've seen done in movies like Sunshine and Event Horizon and, and done way better. Uh, it just feels so... I'm, I guess it's not cheap, but I mean, it feels like it was made for sci-fi channel, let alone that it was ever meant to be like an actual theatrical film. And uh, yeah, characters aren't interesting. Plot's terrible. It's just, it's so embarrassing. And then that, that final shot to tie it into Cloverfield. Oof. <laughs> I was already like, I was already not a huge fan of the way, like, uh, you know, the, the previous Cloverfield film had those like little cute little, like, oh, we're trying to tie it in. I just felt that was unnecessary. This is like far, far worse. Just good Lord. Thank God Bad Robot rebounded with a couple better movies later in the year, because this is almost like they should have had their movie take like keys taken away from them after this one yeah no yeah it was like it was it's just like they're trying to make a franchise in the laziest way of oh how can we like do what what can we come up with to connect this yeah and yeah it's well, this just, would be a, this would be a bad it's, movie it's, no it's a fake what. franchise it, yeah, yeah it's, it's not it's, it's, it's not real yeah the Cloverfield franchise isn't real, and if the rumors that Overlord was going to be tied in at some point uh, are true, then I don't know. I mean, maybe the reaction to this might have made them say, like, okay, maybe we should just like leave it alone, because this and Cloverfield Lane were like changed. This one was changed in the middle of filming, and like it was like a murder mystery, and then it turned into this weird, I don't, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> Well, obviously, I'm glad you brought this up though, because I literally forgot about this. Obviously, that strategy really worked out for everyone involved. (laughs) And for some reason, it's getting a Blu-ray release. 
Yeah, not only is it getting a Blu-ray release bird, but you can actually buy the three-pack of the Cloverfield franchise. <laughs> I saw that listing on Blu-ray.com oh yesterday. Yeah. So, yeah, so... I feel yeah, like, it was terrible. Yeah. I feel a little better now. I feel we got all our negativity out, you know. So that's good. So let's give, let's jump back into being positive here in the graveyard. Um, I'm going to my number five... Um, pick on my list uh probably don't have a too lot to say about this because this isn't a very plot heavy film but this was a very nostalgic horror film and i'm talking about the strangers pray at night very loose sequel to the strangers which came out about 10 years ago this one uh, takes place uh with the uh <laughs> what's funny was it that long ago? Yeah, it, yeah ten years. Yeah, it was yeah. ten years. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So it's it's the loose connection is um it's the three main killers from the strangers, but now they're in a trailer park and they're hunting a family, and uh, yeah, very creepy. The trailer park setting I thought was great. This is just a real, you know, nostalgic uh, both ear and eye candy film. The director was paying homage to a lot of really cool. Um, 80s horror film so yeah I, I i really like strangers pray at night got the blu-ray sitting on the shelf i need to give it a rewatch very soon so matt what do you got creeping the pool on the sequence the, the pool sequence oh, yeah. in uh yeah. strangers pray at night is is really really awesome yeah, it's like the, the highlight yeah, yeah. yeah this like is another one i missed oh bird you gotta see this buddy for real i love the, i like the first movie a lot yeah this is this yeah, is trashier quickly, i mean yeah. it's 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 just to quickly say a little let Matt go to his number two, uh, five in a second, but yeah, I'll just quickly say because I don't have strangers on my list, but I, I really enjoyed it too, and I think it is that perfect thing where this is what I like to see from a franchise, especially if you're going to wait ten years, is come back with a completely different stylistic approach and right. just you know say like okay, same idea, but let's go in a total different vibe with it, and I, I thought it was like really fun and uh, yeah, like again, just a nice companion piece to the original. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Matt, what do you have for number five? Black Klansman. Um, man, this... Uh, look, the, w- watching the movie, and the, the it's got the, the perfect balance of the comedic stuff and the stuff that just, just is a total gut punch, and it just like makes you look at the world around you, evaluate things differently, um, realize that people actually do face the, pre- the prejudice that they do and the racism and all those different things. But it also does it in a way... That I think is receptible by people. We can we we watch it. We can take it in, and it presents it in a way that's honestly entertaining, but and engaging and funny and also horrifying all at once. And then the end, uh, you know, there's this thing that happens at the very end that kind of comes out of nowhere. And for me, like I actually had to sit there downstairs in my basement and just just be alone for a second because I just was not prepared for that. And it 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 does something when a movie does that. I think it's accomplishing what it set out to do. And I mean, it's a very powerful and unfortunately, un, you know, it's, it's a necessary film right now. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. I, I saw it with a mostly black audience and yeah, when we got out, it was like people were sobbing. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I did. I, I, shed some tears at the very end because it was like, and, and I haven't felt that way towards any other film this year. Um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like just that total gut punch. And the thing is it, it works so well and it gets you to think after the movie's ended, like, you're not just like, okay, I'm going to go home now. Like it sticks with you. 
Yeah, it does. It's it's one of those things. Um, two, three days later, just uh, one of those movies where just certain scenes I feel like just stay in your consciousness, keep popping up. You just remember, you know, it's it's definitely not a see it and forget it type of film at all. Yeah, no, I I I liked the movie too, and I just uh, <laughs> I had a I had a couple of quibbles and quabbles, but they, I mean they're just. I, I really did like it. Um, I didn't make my list or anything. I, I think in terms of just as an actual kind of story in a movie, you know, because we've burden and Matt have kind of mentioned that the, the very end rubbed me slightly wrong and, you know, maybe it was designed to do that, but um, I'll even say just for me personally, before that, there's a kind of a coda to the, uh, is his name Leon? To, there's there's like a coda to his story. That Ron? Just, yeah, it's just Ron. Ron. Yeah, it, it felt a little too happy um, and a little too neat. And that was one of my bigger issues with the movie. But, um, yeah, it was really, really like uh, if you're if you're looking, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing to say if you're looking for this or looking for that. But, yeah, I just think like if uh, a kind of comedic. Uh, but but also kind of heartfelt, uh, gut punchy movie. Uh, sounds like it might appeal to you. Then then yeah, I would I would recommend Black Klansman. Yeah, for sure, definitely one of the. Uh, you know whether people end up liking it or not. It's just definitely one of those must see movies of 2018. I would say for sure. So Bird, what do you got uh, rolling at number five? Number five, um, it might show up on someone else's list, but uh, my number five is Avengers Infinity War, which it wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have thought it would wind up here, um, but uh, I, I kind of have the, because like Trev's seen it a couple times now, and it's kind of like remained in the same spot for him, but it's one where I'm I'm liking it more each time I watch it. Uh, where you know the first time I saw it, I walked away saying, "Oh, that was pretty good." And uh, but now I I've seen it a couple times. I saw it twice in theaters, and uh, now I've watched it a couple times on uh, Blu-ray. And it's just something that for me, uh, I pick up on different things every time I see it, and I really um, appreciate the way that it is kind of tying things together um from these movies with the last 10 years um and taking them to you know a logical conclusion i i think my favorite thing um tom mentioned thanos and uh yeah he's excellent brolin's excellent but uh the thing that i think is my favorite now is just the relationship between thanos and tony stark is just really interesting in um you know, uh, you you really see how basically everything since the events of the first Avengers has been Tony Stark trying and in many ways failing to prepare for something like Thanos. Uh, and they just have this kind of like their destinies are like tied together. And I don't know, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, and then, you know, um, I mean, I, I like all the stuff with. Spider-Man, uh, Doctor Strange, I thought was better in this movie than he was in his own movie. Um, it's not perfect. I think the Thor side plot is a little bit yeah, not very interesting, but um, it's probably the best movie they could have made um, 
to tie together these 10 years of Marvel movies. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one that I, I do get more enjoyment of every out of every time I, I revisit it. So my number five is Avengers. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually have mine at this at number three. So we'll just talk about it here. Um, I, I just echo everything that bird said and something Tom touched on earlier. Like you feel the character's deaths, at least I, you know, I did. And especially the relationship between Stark and, and Spider-Man, like when that, when he dies, like there was something just, uh, it, it felt, you felt the weight of it. And if you're just looking for, Hey, punch, punch, like there's a ton of action sequences that are out of this world that are very different. And the, you know, the, the way that the, uh, the, the infinity stones are actually used is kind of, is, is very creative you get a lot of different uh, visuals because obviously the the movie takes place in various areas and planets and different things. So that was kind of neat. Um, and then of course you have, I mean, the, the character depth of Thanos, which like he's easily the best villain that we've seen out of the MCU. Although I do like Killmonger quite a bit, um, but you feel the loss that he feels when you know when there's a thing with him and Gamora. Like there, there's all this really cool. Um, I don't know, like it. It felt the characters worked all together, and then the action sequences delivered, and the and the deaths that we all know are going to be you know reversed at some point, or probably most of them. Um, they didn't feel cheap to me. Like a lot of people, I, I saw a lot of people say they felt cheap, but like for me, I felt the weight of it. Like uh, watching the people die on screen, it, it meant something to me. So I think it accomplished exactly what it set out to do. And when you have so many different characters, like they made a very coherent movie, and I'm, I'm it was a really wonderful theater experience. Yeah, I don't want to get into spoilers too much on it, but uh, it's basically Star-Lord's fault, right? That the good guys lost? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of truth to that, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like there was a split second where things were about to go the good guy's way, and Star-Lord's fucking anger and ego kind of screwed it up, it seemed like. Uh, I I, I, I found that interesting that that the whole thing kind of fell apart based on one of the more trivial characters in the MCU. Mr. Jazz Pants, uh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> 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 All right. So, uh, Jelly, could you tell us your number five, please? Uh, yeah, my, uh, my number five, no one has, no one has talked about this movie yet. Um, I'm, I'm almost a little surprised. Um, and I don't know if it's then on anyone else's list, but, uh, my number five is Annihilation. Um, you might call this another Netflix movie, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. This movie just, it it hummed for me and everything kind of clicked in it for me. Um, I thought it was just, uh, uh, like the. I don't know if maybe I was expecting something a, a little different maybe from it, but um, this movie uh, genuinely surprised me at times. I really had no idea like where it was going next or what was going to happen next. And and that's always a, a treat for me when I'm like sitting and watching a movie and I'm like, wait, what, what is even going to happen next? Um, now uh it's it's got a couple faults it's a, it's a little cold and and kind of distant like uh like the director's previous movie which was Ex Machina um some of the effects right at the end were were not so good um 
there were a couple of those effects that weren't good that I thought I was still like, oh, well, that's not a good effect. But at the same time, it's like it's it's kind of stylized and stylistic enough that it uh, still worked for me. But but there's a kind of a big one that that kind of feeds into a major plot point that uh, I was like, Ooh, this, is, this is not working for me. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, I just I really liked a lot of it. And um, I uh, I think it's uh, it's an interesting metaphor for uh, depression and self-loathing and self-destructive tendencies, um, you know, so the, so there's a lot of people like kind of talking about like the ending and what the ending means. And I think it kind of doesn't matter um, because that's not what the movie's about. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I really, I, I, it's hard to kind of talk about some of that without getting a little into spoilers, but yeah, I just think uh, what, what people are getting hung up on isn't what the movies are really about anyways. So like it doesn't, kind of matter that much and then also uh there's a couple moments in this movie that that genuinely scared me um and and not the least of which is the the i guess it's become somewhat infamous bear scene um that that kind of scared the shit out of me to be honest so uh yeah annihilation i i really really liked it um and i would i would give it a two thumbs up (laughs) I think I gave it a four and a half or a four out of five. So, uh, Annihilation is really good. It would have been, if we were doing fifteen, it would have been my eleven. So, it almost it almost made it on there. But no, I I agree with everything you said, and uh, yeah, I, I Alex Garland for me is someone to watch. And uh, definitely, I think you know Annihilation like it's brought up with the plot and the sci-fi nature. But I think it was uh, honestly one of the kind of one of the best casted uh, films of the year too. I thought the cast was rock solid. And, uh, yeah, it is a really good, strong cast. With Oscar Isaac's southern accent might have left a little bit desired, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, give him a break. He's Poe Dameron. Come on. <laughs> He's Apocalypse, leave him alone. Yeah, come on. yeah, come on, Trev. <laughs> that guy had to endure being slathered in pounds of pounds of purple makeup from a child molester, and now you... <laughs> the guy's from Guatemala. Give him a break. So what, he can't do? I, I like Oscar Isaac. I'm just saying, yeah. you know. Alright. Trev, what do you got uh, on your number five slot? You know, it's interesting that how much this, you know, just our discussion is proving what a force Netflix is in the film world now to where we keep talking about Netflix. And even, you know, not that this isn't my film or anything, but uh, right now it seems like the the heavy favorite to win Best Picture at the Oscars this year is a Netflix film. And we've just we kept bringing it up. So here we go again. I was just pretty down on Netflix with Cloverfield Paradox, but now I'll, I'll bring them back up and say my number five is a uh, one of those kind of Netflix originals, and that's the Indonesian action film The Night Comes for Us. Uh, so this is, you know, what Matt mentioned earlier, the Raid films from Gareth Evans. Uh, Gareth Evans announced this year that he doesn't think he'll ever make The Raid 3. And on one level, that's a bummer, but it's kind of easier to take if his team is still cranking out Raid-esque films. And this, anybody who loved The Raid, I'm sure, will also dig this, which just feels like it kind of could be a spiritual third film in a Raid trilogy. Got some of the same cast members, kind of in different kind of roles, but this is um, 
just like the raid, it's just kind of crazy intense martial arts. This one ups the ante by also adding in a lot of gore and just saying, hey, you know how you do like how violent these uh, crazy kung fu movies were already? What if they're also stabbing each other with bones and blowing off each other's limbs and slicing each other with machetes? And I just couldn't believe the level of violence of this. I watched it with a group of people. And it was like every five minutes we were all screaming out, holy shit, in unison. Just can't, kind of can't believe what, you, what you're seeing. And I'm, I'm a huge martial arts movie fan in general. And, uh, you know, that's, you get a lot of samesy stuff in that genre. It's kind of like being a slasher fan, or I'd imagine being a kaiju fan. You get a lot of the same, and you're usually pretty pleased with all of it. It doesn't take much to impress you. But when you get something that adds something new or goes that extra mile, it really just kind of blows you away. And that's how I felt about this one. Um, I just hope really more people discover this, especially since the director, Timo Tahanto, I don't know. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but he said he sees this as the first part of a trilogy. So I'm really hoping he gets to kind of continue on and and make the next ones. Uh, And uh, Aiko Uwes, who is the star of the raid films plays the villain here. I I definitely want to see more from him uh, because I feel like he has the potential to, take up the mantle that Tony Jaa was kind of promised for a while and kind of dropped a little bit. So yeah, uh, just all in all, if you're into just crazy violent action films, definitely check this one out. If you want to see more from him, you could watch beyond skyline. Uh, I did. No, thanks. <laughs> Trev, <laughs> this was actually my, uh, no my number. Uh, nobody's perfect. You know, Trev, what about what? mile 22? Are you willing to give that one a spin? Oh yeah, I will. I will watch that. I just yeah. haven't got around to it. Yeah. Yeah, this was my number two film, and I, I, Trev hit the nail on the head. I mean, this from not from the time it starts until it finishes. I mean, it's just uh, gore fest and crazy stuff happening, and you, you don't think something crazier can happen, and then it does. And it's, it. I mean, it, honestly, it's just it's a joy to watch on the screen. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, uh, just like Bird uh, with uh, with Annihilation, this this would have been my eleven. Um, it, it was it was right there for me. Um, it's another yeah, Netflix this, one. This this was a movie. I'm pretty sure. Um, I watched this while I was on uh, on like a little mini vacation, um, and my wife had gone to bed, and I was like, I'm not tired yet. Maybe I'll watch the first like 45 minutes or hour of this, and then kind of you know pause it and and go to sleep myself. And I ended up staying up for the whole thing because I was just like. Oh my God. Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh my God. Like the whole time. Um, yeah, it's like it, it could, you know, I mean, the night comes for us and so do the bullets and the guns and grenades and chains and knives and machetes and bone saws and slabs of meat and wet floor signs and wet floor signs (laughs) and shattered glass and broken bottles um yeah it's uh this movie makes you wonder if if the john wick movies are just for uh pussy ass bitches like I mean, <laughs> this movie uh, makes you wonder don't is there any the source jeez <laughs> this movie makes you wonder is there any fake blood left in indonesia after this or they just <laughs> yeah probably not up? also uncle bobby is awesome you can't you can't mention uncle bobby yeah yeah he's 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 wonderful so netflix is responsible for a lot of the best movies we've seen this year but also like the the two worst. 
This is one though too. Like the, I will say quickly, the night comes for us is one where I'm. It's kind of a bummer that I, we didn't get to see this in theaters because I think this would be a really fun movie to watch in a packed theater with an audience. Because you know I've, I've seen the raid films like that, and a packed audience can be a lot of fun for these kind of movies where it just kind of keeps blowing you away with the what, what's happening next. If the whole audience gets into it, so hopefully this will get some kind of like screenings at revival showings uh, in later years. Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's one good thing about these things is, um, I think we're starting to see, um, there's actually a lot of stuff playing in theaters right now that's actually on home video right now. And not only that, but is actually making money in theaters. So I, I, I hope you're, you're right about that trail about some of these things. Having uh, yeah. I think life. in certain markets, I, I think in certain markets, there's been a big, like kind of push lately for like revival screenings. Cause I think we're just kind of into that communal, you know, as we, as we get more, not to get into like a weird rant here, but as we get more detached as a society, I think there's more call the for communal experiences. So that's why you see stuff like the Joe Bob thing happen with everyone wanting to live tweet while watching it together and then more yeah. revival screenings. So, yeah. All right. Moving along. Everybody got their I think, number. Uh, I, th- I think Matt has to do his number five still. Does he? he just keeps jumping ahead. Yeah. I, I'm getting, I was getting confused. Does anybody else still need to do their number five or did everybody do number five? Uh, I did mine. Okay. Yeah, I did mine. We're good. Okay, cool. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, wrong. All right, so number four on my list is uh, one of the uh, 17 different Marvel comic book movies that come out this year. Uh, number four, I'm going with uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, I'm sure this isn't on anybody else's list, but I really enjoyed this. <laughs> this is the type of comic book movie I personally enjoy. Um, just a lot of fun. I uh, really, I mean, I, Ant-Man, the first film, was one of my favorite Marvel movies. Uh, I enjoyed the. I love Paul Rudd in the role. I love uh, how they really kind of organically worked now Evangeline Lilly, the Wasp, in with Ant-Man being a duo again. Uh, I love the kind of multi-generational thing that's going on with um, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer playing the parents. And uh, just the gimmicks of the constantly shrinking down, popping back up, cars being able to pop back up. I just find this series a lot of fun, and I hope they get to, you know, because I know they got to wrap up a lot of kind of big Marvel issues right now with the Thanos thing and all that. I hope they do, you know, three, four years, whenever from now, they circle back and kind of finish off an Ant-Man trilogy and get to do one more. Because I really love this cast uh, that, you know, whether I was together in this Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I'd like to see them all in one big more uh, adventure together. So, yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Matt, what do you got rocking at number four? I would be shocked if this movie is on anybody else's list. Uh, it's The Endless. So, technically, this came out in 2017, but didn't get a wide release until 2018 in April. And... Um, it's it basically features two brothers who are played actually by the directors Justin Benson and Aaron um, Moorhead, and the the idea is they visit a cult that they previously had escaped from because the one brother is basically struggling to adjust to everyday life and he wants to go back and so the one brother the other brother is like okay well let's go check this out I want to show you that we have it better now than we've ever had it. And it just follows their life as they go back. They're reintroduced to the cult and the different things that happen along with these other characters. And then all this weird stuff just goes batshit crazy and all the supernatural elements that come into play. And, and it, it hits kind of the sweet spot for me because science fiction is – sci-fi is, is my personal favorite genre of film. But it also mis- you know, takes the religious elements of that and kind of combines all those things 
and everything works really well together for me. You get some also very unique visuals, and I know I think we talked about this uh, maybe in our thread, but I'm not sure if uh, Jelly liked the ending. But I I, I like the ending pretty well, um, and so that's why it made it all the way to uh, number four. Um, yeah, I uh, this 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 like if we did a top twenty, maybe this probably would have made it on there. Um, I really liked the emotional depth of the movie. Um, and, and yeah, I, I liked, I liked the atmosphere that, that they held throughout. I think the end, uh, was like, uh, for me, it was kind of a little too easy. Um, it left a little to be desired. Um, it kind of just like pushed itself out of the corner that it wrote itself into rather than kind of, kind of getting there, there a little more naturally. Um, but you know, this is, um, these guys have done a few other films, um, and, uh, I like those other ones, but this one I think is their most kind of complete movie out of, out of all their movies so far. Yeah, I agree with that. I I like this one too. It didn't make my list or anything, but, uh, this was the first time where I felt like I kind of got Benson and Moorhead because I, I thought resolution was okay. I was really cool on spring. I really did not dig that one that much. And then this one I thought was such a step above those other two. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, I kind of agree with you, Jelly, that the ending is a little simplistic, but I think the ending really falters in the other two. So I was kind of happy to just have an ending. And uh, I don't know, I will say, if anyone is thinking of checking this out, I think you do have to watch Resolution first. I think these really work as a, you know, a one-two punch, because this is kind of a secret sequel to that in a way. Uh, it, I mean, it, it can be enjoyed as its own thing, but if you watch them both in one night, you might get the most enjoyment out of it. But uh, yeah, this is a, this is a really cool one that again I hope more people kind of do find, and it makes me now I'm excited to see what they do next because this showed a lot of growth for them. I missed this one, but Matt, have you seen Resolution? No, that was actually I didn't know they were they were connected. I was just like, oh, this movie looks interesting, and I and I click play, and uh, yeah, and then I, I found that after the fact that there is some very specific ties between the two films, and so it's on my my list to eventually All get right. to. Trev says go do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think too the the thing I like the most about this this film is uh, the the brothers, the relationship that they have with each other, and the different dynamics at work. Like, it's really strong stuff. And if you have siblings, like, easily relate. It's just so very easily relatable. And that, that, I think that's probably why it works so well for me. Yeah, I totally forgot about this, but I actually um, heard about this movie on the Shockwaves podcast months ago. And as soon as you start talking about it, Matt, it totally ring the bell. Yeah, I kind of want to see this from what they're saying and not what you're saying. It sounds like it's be pretty pretty good. Yeah, it's great. It's also a pretty quick watch. So I mean, if you got like ninety minutes to kill, go for it. And who doesn't have ninety minutes to kill nowadays? <laughs> Bird. Hey, you can go. You can go watch it while Bird talks about his number one movie. Exactly. <laughs> Bird number four, please. Um, I think this is probably going to pop up again, but um, sorry to bother you. Uh, Boots Riley's directorial debut. Um, I mean, the, everything about this was what I wanted in a movie full of awful franchise sequels and reboots. Um, I saw this like right it, smack dab between some other some bullshit like uh, between like Jurassic World two and something else and it was just like it was exactly what I needed at that time uh, just 
in addition to just a really unique uh, directorial style and art direction, um, it's it's just a really smartly written movie, really funny. Um, Lakeith Stanfield and Stephen Yin and um, uh, Tessa Thompson, uh, a great bit part by Terry Crews. Um, everyone's awesome. Uh, it has multiple things to say about, um, you know, uh, uh, society and race relations and a whole myriad of other other things as well. Uh, there's layers to it. And, yeah, the third act is absolutely insane. And anyone that says that they guessed it is lying to you, quite frankly. Um, but I, I loved everything about it. Um, uh, like, at this point, we're in, into, like, my one through four movies were, like, I really just, they just hit the the spot for me in every way. And, yeah, I, I just adore this movie. Yeah, it's been a racially charged year for films. This is also my third, the third movie on my list by a black director. So, wow. interesting. So you're just racist, is what? <laughs> he's he's, he's race, kill whitey. He's race baiting us. <laughs> Jelly, what did you have for number four? Uh, my number four. Um, I'm not sure if this is on anyone else's list or if it was maybe like something where it just fell off. I think, uh, but it's a quiet place. Um, seeing a movie like this in a crowded, crowded theater. I mean, I saw this in a theater where, like, uh, it was one of those like buy your tickets or, or select your seat things, and like, I got one of the last seats uh, that was not in the front row. Um, it's, it's a tricky play, um, especially with some of the theatrical experiences that I've had in the past, uh, at Krampus, I got threatened to have my ass kicked, um, at, at Halloween, there were people like shouting things at the screen, um, which that was, that was okay for that movie. Um, but you know, I've, I had a dude take a phone call in the middle of the witch when I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had some, I've had some dicey theatrical plays. And when you see a movie like a, like a quiet place, you want to see it with like perfect, pristine sound in a, in a dark theater, um, in dead silence. And, uh, I did get to see it that way. It was a full, full theater and everyone had their shit together and was quiet. Um, and that was the perfect way to experience this movie. Um, I have some issues with it, some things I would change. Uh, there's there's a moment kind of towards the like the climax that just slightly rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, while this isn't like a really terrifying horror movie, like um, I think if if you're one of those people who uh, who kind of likes horror you could still kind of, you know, this one's still palatable. Um, but it is, it is tense. It's intense. Uh, it's a, it's a hell of a ride. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, and that's, it's a lot of fun, even with a a small child being murdered in the first five minutes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just one of those movies that, uh, it takes a premise that's, that's fairly interesting and that you could, easily go into a movie like this and be like, Oh, well it had a good premise. Um, but 
this is one where it uh, it actually makes complete and full use of that premise to like every extent that it needs to be used. Um, and I know they're planning on making sequels possibly because this was such like a huge kind of surprise hit. <clears throat> um, I'd be fine with no sequels personally. Well, we're getting a second one. I think that's like official. I know. I'm just saying this is this is a movie that, you know, here's you've got this premise and this does everything that you need to do with that premise. Um, and and I really appreciate when a movie that has kind of a kooky, wacky premise does that when it's like, OK, we're, you know, we're, we're going to have this kind of almost gimmicky premise, but at least we're going to do everything we possibly can with it. Um and so, yeah, A Quiet Place, my number four movie of the year. Plus, yeah, it's only like 90 minutes, which you don't get very much in movies these days. Right. So sometimes, especially for theatrical viewing, you know, whatever your movie is, I always feel like length really matters. Having the perfect length for your subject matter really matters for theatrical hits. So, yeah, rolling right along. Trev, what do you got at number four? Um, this is one I wasn't sure if it was going to pop up on here, and I'm guessing at this point, we're this far, it's probably not going to, except for right now. But uh, if you know me, this one won't surprise you at all. In fact, I think when Jelly watched this, he even said, I, he's, I think he said, I can understand why this would be a five-star movie for Trev. Um, this is Revenge, the, uh, the, the rape revenge film from director Coralie Farge. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is kind of old-school exploitation flicks, but then there's that also kind of... You know, interesting thing as an exploitation fan nowadays where I like those films because of how transgressive they are, but I myself has, have kind of evolved as a person, as society's evolved. You're like, well, is there like a nice middle ground between exploitation film and kind of more, you know, socially aware kind of takes on it? And I think this is a good version of that where we have this kind of more feminist driven rape revenge movie. And then beyond that, everything else about it just speaks to me. It's got the kind of cool like score that I love. The music's great. Just the visual style is really, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, super bloody again. <laughs> I didn't mean to have two just gore fests in a row on my list, but hey, that's the way it goes sometimes. But yeah, just an awesome, like, f- female empowerment story. Uh, it, there's not a lot to say to it because it's, it's so simplistic, right? There's, the story is very simple. Girl goes out to the desert with her boyfriend, uh, doesn't realize a couple of his friends are going to be there bad things happen. I, it's, I call it a rape revenge film. So you figure it out. Um, <laughs> she, she ends up getting thrown off a cliff and left for dead. And then it's the, you know, obviously the story of her coming back for her revenge. And I, I think what's kind of cool about this one is, and I guess this is the divisive part. Cause I've seen some people complain about this. And I think even jelly and I had some discussions about this. You ha- you kind of have to just go with this. If you're going to enjoy the film. It gets, it walks right up to the level of being supernatural without quite ever fully making that jump. But the what she survives and what some of the other characters kind of live through is pretty questionable if you want to use logic. But if you don't mind logic and you look at it as kind of more of a mythic story about this character rising as like a phoenix, and there's even a pretty dead on, you know, in your face analogy of that with uh, her burning a phoenix symbol under her stomach. Uh, if you if you can accept the non logical aspect of it and just get into it as like a really fun action film, I think you'll I think you'll dig it. And uh, I definitely did. So, yep, revenge. Yeah, uh, I, need to, I need to revisit this one. Just, uh, I mean, because I liked it, right? Mm-hmm. And what what I didn't like on my first watch was the opening, I don't know, maybe 
maybe 20 minutes or something. And uh, when the movie really grabbed me, like really grabbed me, and I was like, okay, I get it now, um, is that kind of nail-on-the-head Phoenix moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like it, it, this is the kind of movie like – so when when I watch like Craig Zoller's movies, you know, like Bone Tomahawk or Brawl and Cellblock '99, I feel like I'm watching like an exploitation movie that's like more. You know, yeah. it's, it kind of takes an exploitation starting point and it elevates it to another level that like almost like legitimizes exploitation. Yeah, like classy exploitation. Right, and then like when you watch like the Grindhouse movies, I feel like I'm watching something kind of less. You know, like. Um, it's certainly like less earnest, like it's all like wink, wink, like nudge, nudge. Oh, isn't this like uh, a crazy exploitation thing? You know, it, and it's got like this gimmicky feel to it, especially, you know, with like the machete movies, though, you know, those especially have that, like, it, it doesn't feel earnest at all. Um, revenge to, to me, I, I felt like I was just watching like an exploitation movie. Like it's not necessarily elevated. It just is what it is, and it really embraces that. Um, and it was when it embraced that 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 it all kind of the the you know the tumblers all kind of clicked into place, and I got it. Um, and so I do want to revisit it and just see if it kind of maybe goes up a notch or two for me because this was this was uh, on my f- like fifteen spot. Mm-hmm. So I really like it too. It would have been my fourteen spot, but. Um... Yeah, I, I I like that, you know, it, it is a rape-revenge movie that, in a, in a way, turns it on its head a little bit and kind of, uh, um, I guess, uh, inverts a lot of the tropes. And, um, yeah, I dig it. It just didn't, uh, you know, make it this far for me. I mean, I will say, is in terms of genre films starring Matilda Lutz to start with an R, it's better than Rings. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah i need to see it i get it hyped up every time they always seem to have a commercial for it on um shockwaves podcast so yeah yeah well it was one of the first it was one of the first really big um like shutter pickups i know right so. yeah so yeah moving along number three i have a um, film again very disappointed this film didn't get a better release um I wanted to check this film out. It's called um, "Don't Let the Title Throw You." It's called "Hot Summer Nights." I was interested in this because it has two of my favorite young actors, uh, Timothy Chalamet and Michael Monroe, in it. And uh, it's a movie that takes place night summer of 1991, um, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, T- Timothy Chalamet kind of plays a kind of somewhat nerdy kid who goes to spend the summer on Cape Cod with, uh, I believe, his aunt. And he befriends a local drug dealer. They become buddies. He starts, uh, you know, helping him sell drugs. The next thing you know, like, he's kind of using his book smarts and his ambition to, you know, help push, push the uh, the drug dealing business they got. Pretty much just like marijuana, small time. And uh, Thomas Jane plays the local sheriff. Um, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away because some of the characters are kind of interconnected in this. But, uh, yeah, just it's really fun. It's really got a great nostalgic throwback feel. Um, like, you expect all drug-dealing movies to happen. Uh, you know, shit goes wrong in the third act, of course. 
But uh, I really was drawn up in it. I liked the uh, the relationship between all the characters and whatnot. I liked the nostalgic feel. I would definitely recommend it. It was like some kind of weird shit. Uh, it's A24, which is kind of like the premier uh, independent distributor now. But they, they I don't know, they, they did some kind of weird deal with um, initially DirecTV. But now uh, I saw it on Amazon streaming, so you can watch it on Amazon Prime. I, I don't know how long it will be on there, but it, it's on there now. So, yeah, definitely um, recommend everybody check out Hot Summer Nights. If, uh, you know, you kind of like those fun throwback, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. It's kind of coming to age tale, but it's also coming of age with like, you know, high stakes going on. Really stylized, really great. I recommend it. Matt, what do you got at number three? So it's one we already talked about, which is uh, Avengers Infinity War. And I don't really have much to add, except uh, it's awesome and I loved it. So, are you Team Cap or Team Stark? Come on, man. That was a couple years ago. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm I'm still on the fence all these years later. All right. Hot takes. Did anybody else find Tony Stark's new armor to be just annoyingly stupid? Like, like he basically has, like, witchcraft technology. (laughs) Like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. (laughs) I, I, I actually like. I mean, it's it's that's from the comics, and I actually always kind of like the nanotechnology thing. Um, in the comics, it was actually taken even further to where it was inside his body, and when he oh, would have to, really yeah, it was like, a, like the pores. Yeah, it was, his, yeah, it was like yeah. a Giver kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so they didn't even go as far as they could have with it. I I think the look of it, the design, was maybe one of the uglier Iron Man suits. I think that was yes. maybe part of the problem. But I don't have a problem with the tech. Like the way it comes out or anything. Yeah. I mean, get his ass beat, so like it kind of didn't matter. Right. Yeah. You know, before Infinity War came out, kind of my fear was that it was like, dang, there's so many characters involved. It's going to be so messy jumping from here to there, these characters. But the way they kind of, you know, centrally located a lot of the characters in groups, like I was actually surprised, especially on the second watch. Um, it's actually got a fairly uh, tight narrative. It's not really as all over the place as I really, you know, thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's what I want to say. But I mean, it didn't make my list. But I and you know, we're joking about how I don't care about Marvel anymore. But to be fair, I do like this movie. I just wasn't blown away by it. And I, and I, but I have always said I think its biggest accomplishment is that it's not a giant mess. And I think that's actually right. I mean that's a compliment. That's a testament to the Russos and the writers because it should have been by all accounts. And they actually they actually figured it out and pulled it off. So. Good on them. I agree completely. Bird, what do you got at number three? Uh, I have a feeling this is going to turn up uh, quite a bit from here on out, and so I'm, I'm not going to go too crazy, uh, but I guess I'll be the first one to bring up at number three, I'll be the first one to bring up Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, a movie that I started off with marginal interest in just because I love Spider-Man and then uh, was, to me, this is the big surprise of the year. Um, What easily could have been another attempt by Sony for another way to cash in on Spider-Man while Marvel's doing their thing, uh, it turned out to be probably maybe the best Spider-Man movie that I've seen. Um, following Miles Morales, a character from the comics that I've never read a comic book with, with that character. Um, 
so we we have a black Spider-Man, and then we also have Peter Parker, and we have a pig Spider-Man, and we have a black and white noir uh, Spider-Man, and an anime Spider-Man. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's the opposite of the Godzilla anime in that this really does take full advantage of it being an animated film. Um Animation style is really cool and meant to simulate kind of uh, comic book panels and the the way people move. You know, it's meant to be kind of like flipping through the pages of a comic book. So from a visual perspective, it's great. Um, I just it really nailed what uh, I think, you know, the older version of Peter Parker uh, should be. Um and, uh, yeah, it's just full of heart, and it's everything that I really want in a Spider-Man movie. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sh- honestly, I'm not sure that I can say that about any previously existing Spider-Man film. Um, I, I, I loved it, and um, I, just talking about it gets me excited to watch it again. And I already saw it twice, so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. A grown-up version of Spider-Man. I never thought we would get that on the big screen, I gotta say. So, yeah, rolling along with uh, Jelly, number three, what's in that slot for you? Uh, it's hereditary. Um, so I think when when this came up earlier, I mentioned it was higher on my list, and, and so here's where it is. Um, yeah, it, it, one of the things I, I loved about this movie so much was that... Um, Kind of like uh, a movie like the Bab- the Babadook um, that I also really loved from a few years ago is or it follows. Um, this movie knows how to like ratchet up tension without just being startling and jump scares. Um, it it's like you know it constantly like it'll ratchet things up like two or three notches and then release it back just one. So you you kind of you get to relax a little bit, but you're you're constantly just at like a a higher you know sense of awareness and like terror than you were five minutes ago or ten minutes ago or you know however long it's it's just it's constantly building the tension throughout the entire movie um and you know when you do get some of those like really scary moments towards the end. Um, they're, they're really unnerving and, and really, really terrifying. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of layers to the movie. There's a lot of smart writing. There are a lot of clues kind of sprinkled in and planted throughout. This is definitely a movie that I want to, uh, revisit. Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of movie that I think benefits from multiple rewatches. I, I don't think that's always the, the case with movies. Um, you know, a lot of times you can watch a movie, if you, it could be amazing, but then, you know, you watch it again and you're like, oh, yeah, it was still good. But, you know, knowing where everything goes, just not as great anymore. But like this, this definitely um, has like so much kind of smart stuff just sprinkled throughout that. I'm like, God, I want to I want to watch it again and, and see if I pick up on on things that I wasn't picking up on the first time. And then like then. You know, so much of this movie's uh, lore or uh, uh, backstory or whatever um, is kind of based in actual fact. Um, So, well, not fact so much as like actual um, 
like already existing kind of like uh, stories and and lore and and things like that. Like, um, there's all this stuff going on about this cult, right? And they worship this demon and all of that stuff that's in the movie. Um, to to my knowledge, is actually based on uh, and and pretty closely based on like an an existing. Uh, sect of like people who worship this this I can't remember the the demon's name but um and that demon's kind of history and everything actually exists right they didn't just invent all this for the movie um so that's really interesting to me too is like how you know how well does that all fit together so this is a movie that just kind of inspired me to like read about the movie afterwards, you know, kind of like, uh, Suspiria did for Trev and, um, and, and yeah, it's, it also like has just a couple of uh, moments of just hard hitting gore in them, in it. Um, one that's, that's particularly, particularly unnerving. And then, and then also, um, it's it's a movie that works outside of being a horror movie. It's a movie that works as a story about coping with loss and grief. Um, and you know, all the best all the best movies of any genre, uh, unless it's like a more like just kind of straightforward like like drama or something, work uh, the work as a story about something else. You know, I mean, you you, you take like the the alien element out of the thing and it's still a really great movie about like paranoia and cabin fever um and that's this is you you take the the horror elements and the demonic possession and all of that out of this movie and it's still a really uh a really good movie about grief and and coping with grief and coping with loss and what that can do to a family uh and it, it's it's just i i loved like I love this movie. It was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And uh it's one of those ones I'm really looking forward to revisiting, you know, someday, not not too far away hopefully, cuz I like you said, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of um not even necessarily hints, but there's just a lot of stuff kind of hiding in plain sight that you don't really get the first time you watch it, and then when you kind of know uh where everything connects up, at the end of the film, I feel like it, it's it's probably fun to sit there and watch it all kind of unfold in front of your eyes throughout the movie, you know, when you watch it on repeat viewings. So, yeah. So, moving on. Trev, what do you got number three? Um, so, I man, it's a really strong testament to my one and two that they beat this one out because by all, you know, by all logic, this should have been my favorite movie of the year, and that's Mandy. Uh, the fact that Mandy didn't make the top spot really tells you something about the next two. But uh, yeah, this is a movie that just felt made for me. Uh, just that kind of overly stylized look. Again, the music. Um, Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Caging it up. You know, the ability to take what could just be a simple revenge story and say, hey, let's also throw in like Cenobite bikers and bizarre like uh drug trips and animated sequences this is again this is just pure creativity unleashed on film and that's what i'm looking for most of the time when i go into films now because you know it is i think all of us are getting kind of bored with the same z kind of stuff that we're getting fed to us a lot 
And then you see something like Mandy, which is just such a strong artistic statement and just so unique and, and so weird and cool. It doesn't surprise me that it, it did kind of break out and it was a, you know, a legit hit in the indie sphere. And I'm glad that happened. It was cool to see Nicolas Cage have a big resurgence here in general and to see him get used right, you know, and just to remind you that though, that even that kind of over the top performance when filtered in the right direction and put in the right kind of movie can it doesn't have to be a joke it can be like oh no he's actually really good if you're putting it in, in the right context and, and mandy was definitely the right context so yeah i just i love this movie um i even think i, I think my letterbox review for this movie i just wrote something like i love this movie because <laughs> i couldn't think of anything <laughs> else to say and even now i'm struggling just because it's just it's it's so perfect to me so uh, I'm glad I'm glad other people are digging it and I'm glad it seems like it's gonna have a, a long life as like kind of a maybe the high point of the, the later part of Cage's career unless he even tops this now which here's hoping we've gotten this far into talking about this movie where it's been mentioned a few times and no one has said Cheddar Goblin yeah Jeez, Ooh, I don't know how that's a fail that's a, yeah, that's a yeah. Fail. we suck <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to give everything away. You know, there's a lot of people still ain't seen it. But yeah, what I I think the thing, the main point I have to say about Mandy is um, for me, it's the perfect mashup of two films that I like. Uh, The previous movie from the director, Beyond the Black Rainbow, and then also another Nicolas Cage movie, Drive Angry. This movie really reminds me of like a mashup of those two films stylistically and then kind of Cage-wise and whatnot. So yeah, I definitely, definitely uh, dug on this. Um, I, in a weird way, it was one of those things where I think the only reason this isn't on my list is uh, I was constantly comparing it to because it made me feel so much like Beyond the Black Rainbow. And even while I was watching Mandy, I was like, damn, I gotta watch Beyond the Black Rainbow again. Like, all I could think about was Beyond the Black Rainbow. Because it's been a few years since, it's probably been now, probably about four years since I've seen it. And it's just always a film that stuck with me. Um, so, yeah, I gotta get back to that. But no, Mandy in itself, I definitely think it's a masterpiece. And, you know, there's always that evolution of midnight movies. Uh, you know, all for different reasons, of course. You know, these midnight phenomena are all different. And, uh, you know, for the last decade, whatever, it's kind of transitioned from stuff like Rocky Horror to The Room and all these weird things. I really think Mandy should be the next Midnight movie for like the next 10 years. I think it's just perfectly built for that. Yeah, I think it could be because I, I think it's to even go back to some older Midnight movies. I think it sits nice alongside stuff like uh, Lynch and Jodorowsky in yeah. terms of that kind of that kind of creative our creative uh, feel so i agree definitely big thumbs up for mandy moving along to the number twos number two this is just a movie another one i really want to see again um i don't know i just i didn't didn't really hear much about this movie at all if if anything it seemed like it kind of got dismissed when it came out but i really enjoyed this movie uh it came out real early in the year i can't remember either january february but it's called uh den of thieves with Gerard Butler, and it's it, the only the best way I can describe it without giving too much away is it's a it's very similar to Heat. Starts out with a hotshot crew of uh, bank robbers, and um, basically you follow them and their crew, and uh, basically there's like a crew of badass cops led by Gerard Butler, 
that are after them. So it's kind of cool because you kind of throughout the movie you see them do the robberies and you see the cops always trying to catch them. And, you know, and then it also goes into the personal life of both sides, you know, the criminals and the cops and whatnot. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't, by no means, I wouldn't put it in the same category or class of Heat, but it's just that type of, you know, uh, I think Heat's like a three-hour movie. This one was really just, a, you know, a little over two hours, but still it just, it had that feeling and the way it uh, wraps up and stuff and wasn't like a huge hit, I think. I think the budget was about $30 million. Um, but uh, the worldwide box office was maybe $80 million. And supposedly they're working on a sequel, which if that ends up happening, it'll kind of blow me away because you don't see movies that are, you know, little tiny modest hits get sequels like that. So whether it gets a sequel or not, I really like Den of Thieves. I think, it's, I think Gerard Butler takes a lot of shit, sometimes rightfully so, for the types of roles he picks, but... I think for these types of films, you know, playing gritty, hard-edged characters, I think he comes through. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. I'm looking back at my list now, and I remember half of these are pretty much like crime films. So I guess I just pretty much like crime films is the the real <laughs> the real gist of my list. But, uh, Matt, what do you have at number two? Again, another movie we've uh, already talked about, The Night Comes For Us. But anytime I can mention how awesome Uncle Bobby is... Have I mentioned that Uncle Bobby is awesome? That that's just just watch the movie. Yeah, man, Uncle Bobby for life. Where is this movie available at right now? Is it Netflix? Okay, Netflix. Gotcha. Yeah, we are we are shilling Netflix hard. Yeah, no, man, you guys kind of creeped up on me. I I wish I would have got a warning <laughs> that this one is going to be a two hour paid advertisement for the soon to be. Just pri- send in your podcast yeah. and request a paycheck, man. That's how yeah. we roll. That's how yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping maybe if we talk about them this much, they'll, they won't give us the price raise. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think the way the price raise works is like new people get it right away, and I think existing customers get it a uh, three-month break yeah. before the price, right? But maybe yeah. if we shill enough, maybe we can get like a six-month reprieve. For a three-year three break or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you have to edit out all the bad stuff we said about uh, Godzilla yeah. and Cloverfield. Yeah. So, Cloverfield so, Paradox is awesome. Yeah, so this podcast <laughs> will no longer contain that middle part that was about the worst <laughs> movies of the year. Bird, what did you have for number two? Uh, my number two is Hereditary, and I don't have much to add to what Tom said. I mean, take the horror out, and it's an outstanding family drama. Uh, everyone is great, especially Tony Collette, who, I mean, I mean, there is no bad Tony Collette. She's just always delivers. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this is my kind of horror movie. I, I mean, I can enjoy a slasher or uh, something schlockier, but... I mean, I, I I really fall for the stuff that is not only just going to give you uh, a lot of tension. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat this whole time, and a lot of those are just scenes of people talking. That's how good the writing and the acting is, but... Um, but also like give, give me a storyline, you know, that revolves around real people with real problems, you know, I mean, annoying teenagers can only go so far, uh, and movies like this are like, this is the kind of horror movie that I like that, you know, it's, it's unnerving, but it's also made with a degree of maturity and intellect, um, and I, I can't say enough about it. It just, it just floored me. 
Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I just can't echo enough the stuff that was already said about this movie. Um, I will say, uh, I mean, if this is your first time, like, hearing anyone really talk about it, d- don't watch the trailers. The trailers are terrible. They make it look like you're, you know, just another kind of jump scare fest. And that's yeah. not what this is at all. Um, so, yeah, Hereditary uh, just just knocked me out. And uh, it's an unpleasant movie, but that's what I love about it. So, yeah, the, the trailers were terrible for this. I do. I remember that because this was a movie I was like pretty excited to see. And then I saw trailers and I was like, oh, my God. Um, you know what? I'll play like devil's kept... advocate on that really quickly, though, and say I think the trailers were effective, though, in that they didn't give away what the movie really was. And whereas people like us were like, eh. They tricked a lot of people into seeing the movie, thinking it was going to be one of those kind of, you know, I think it was a bigger hit than it would have been otherwise, because people thought it was like kind of a standard horror film because of those trailers. Maybe. Um, I mean, I ended up not seeing being able to see it in theaters, but that was for different reasons. I was I was traveling uh, when the movie came out. So uh, but but, yeah, it was it was definitely something where I didn't uh, I didn't, you know, put myself out to try and get to see it because of those trailers that, which were, um, but yeah, it's, it's not those trailers. (laughs) Thankfully. Yeah. I'm in the same, but I I pretty much avoided it because of the trailers. I thought it was going to be a PG 13 jump scare fest. And I like, I pretty much, you know, once all the positive word came back, you know, I was pretty much dying to see it. Once it hit video, I kind of missed it theatrically and, I think if I remember right, I think I saw it like the week it came out on video and I was like, holy shit. Like if you were to make a, you know, whatever top three, just must see like movies, like not just your favorite, but just movies that you just recommend to people. Hereditary would be on that short list of me where it's just like anybody who likes horror, you know, um, I think they would definitely like Hereditary. So let's see. I'm getting lost in my places yet. Who's next on the list? Is it Jelly? Sure. Do your number two. Uh, my number two, and well, I'm I'm just gonna give this the caveat of the the difference between my number one and my number two right now is I've seen my number one movie a couple of times and I enjoyed it equal like that much both times. And my number two movie I've only seen the once, and I just want to see it one more time to see. Um, if it kind of still holds that same punch for me, um, my number two movie is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, like Bird said, it's, it makes full use of its, of its, uh, stylistic choice of animation. Um, anyone who's, uh, for the last like 20 years or however long it's been, been lamenting that, um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, you know, didn't get its due because it was an animated movie. Um, This movie exists now, you know, like this movie uh, did not bomb is uh, is is, you know, beating Disney in in awards categories. Um, It's it's awesome to, to have something this good in this medium 
come out and people recognize it, you know, and, and no one's saying about, no one's really saying about this movie. Oh, I wish they could do a live action version of this. You know, everyone's just watching this movie and enjoying it just for what it is. Um, and I mean, a big part of that is because they, they do things in such a creative way with the animation that you wouldn't even want to see this movie in live action. It It's perfect. Uh, the way it is in in its animated form, um, I had a couple of little little ticks. Uh, the the one thing I want to see if it bothers me as much at home was the the out of focus stuff that kind of made it me feel like I was wearing or not wearing 3D glasses at a 3D showing. Um, it, it it bugged me a couple of times a little bit, but uh, but that'd be my only real complaint. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, best post credit scene in a movie this year? Oh, yeah. E- yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, this, this, this movie just, it's, it's so fun. And, uh, and yeah, it's also got that heart to it, right? Um, and it, it all just sings and it all works. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's probably the best Spider-Man movie to date. Just like Batman mask of the phantasm is, is one of the better Batman movies to date. Uh, and like the animated series is the definitive take on Batman for me. Um, this is, this is kind of the, like a, a fairly definitive take on, on Spider-Man. Certainly I would, I would imagine probably like it's going to be the, the definitive take on miles Morales. Um, and and yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. I loved it. Yeah, I got to see it. I have plans actually to see it next week. Um, my local theater actually has seizure warnings posted all over on the doors for this film. Did anybody else see that at any local theaters? Uh, I haven't seen it, but it doesn't surprise me. I'm seeing that for a lot of movies now. I even I, I saw Glass recently, and Glass had that as well. Yeah, for some reason, Escape Room had that too on the doors. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Trev, what do you got in the number two spot? All right. So, I I, I know I'm the only person that has this on my list because the rest of you are like weird, grumpy weirdos or something. But, uh, <laughs> but number two. Wait, uh, by the way, what a way to start out <laughs> praising yeah, the you know, film. I'm going to be really positive about this. Uh, no, you know, look, in a year where I think everyone has kind of acknowledged um, a pretty rough year for blockbusters, a lot of, lot of garbage out there. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I did a pretty good job avoiding a lot of that this year. But thankfully, in terms of the one I was most excited for, it delivered. And that was Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, I've long said I think this is the best, by far the best franchise running right now. Uh, and kind of an unsung one until this year, I feel like. This year it finally started to get, like, the attention and acclaim it deserved, I think, with this entry. Uh, I'll go so far as to say I think this one, Fallout, is arguably the best American action film since Mad Max Fury Road. And, I, and I, like, so a large part of that is I, I'm by no means actually a CGI hater. I, I don't have a lot of problems with CGI that other people do, but I will join in the chorus and say, yes, it's true that it, all these CGI action scenes and everything is getting to be a little dime a dozen. And they're not really exciting anymore. They serve a purpose and it's fine. Uh, I liked, you know, the visuals of Aquaman and stuff like that. But damn, is there something refreshing to watch a movie like Fallout nowadays where you have this crazy, insane person as the star 
who's doing these insane stunts and just putting his life on the line and filming it for us. And you're watching in pure IMAX format, this guy hang from helicopters, fly a helicopter upside down, get thrown off a motorcycle. Uh, you could say it's just stunt like driven, but the also what's great about this film is that it's got these crazy action scenes, but it's also probably the best story of the franchise. The first one that has a really strong emotional hook for his character. Um, they came up with a really compelling storyline for him this time. It's a cool culmination of a lot of story themes from the previous ones, whereas they've all been standalones. This is one that actually felt like it was really rewarding fans of the franchise where a lot of things come back and kind of wrap up. And, uh, you know, Henry Cavill is just like a beast in this in a way I didn't expect because I was always really cool on him in Superman. And I haven't seen Man from Uncle, which he's really good in. But this is one where I stood up and said, OK, yeah, this guy has like star quality for sure. Uh, Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson, continues to be a great character that I could even see get a spinoff if they were smart. But, yeah, just all in all, this is a, the odd action franchise that just keeps getting better as it goes along. And I was really happy this year to finally see like the press around it kind of acknowledge that and and step up and in a big way. I noticed people really raving about this one and, and that kind of follows through to the recent announcement that they hired uh, Christopher McQuarrie now to write and direct two more entries that are actually going to film back to back and release a year apart. So it seems like they, they really know what they've got with this series now. And I'm all for Tom Cruise trying to kill himself on film for my enjoyment. And he's even Jeez. said he wants to try and figure out how to uh, go into space in one of these ones. So let's do it, Tom. Do whatever you got to do, strap your ass to a rocket and shoot it off into space and film it, and I'll be there for it, opening the weekend. Hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, and, I, and I'll be honest, I kind of don't didn't understand like where the groundswell came from, because, I mean, all the Mission Impossibles have all been, you know, hit, not only hits, but they just, they, they've been popular. But this one in particular, Trev, I've noticed... Uh, maybe like about a month before it came out, it seemed like this movie was all anybody was talking about in the movie sphere. Yeah, and it got like what it was like it had like a ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff yeah. too. And but I do think this one deserves it too. I think like uh, the escalation of action sequences in this one is pretty amazing. I think there. I will say as much as I've enjoyed the previous ones, I think a problem the one the two before this had was that the best action scene was usually in the middle of the film and the climax didn't quite live up to it. And this one is really smart and how it keeps building and building. And then the final like 15 minutes, of this one are just so exciting. And it's just like such a ludicrous, but ludicrous in the best way action spectacle that ends it. So I think they finally figured out like the pacing element maybe, and maybe that's a part of what made this one click too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's, um, it's just, you know, I, I guess the world of movies are changing. I guess movies are becoming more of a serialized thing, but I find it very, Interesting, especially with the action franchise, it seems like uh, Fast and the Furious with like I think their part five and now Mission Impossible with their part six. It's like it's really interesting to see these long running series kind of get a boost and a second wind, and you know, mm -hmm. you know, just generate so much more excitement and people looking forward to the you know. And they're basically yeah, like you said, they're going to the Fast and the Furious schedule, getting one out pretty much you know every whatever. Not every year, but every other year, I guess, would be the way to say it. But yeah, so we're coming down the whole home stretch. We're getting into the favorite uh, movies of the year. I got to say, I just want to mention, I don't know if this is an honorable mention or what, but the film that I absolutely dead to rights knew would be my number one film was the Christian Bale uh, film Hostiles. 
I checked and because I remember I saw it. I I think the wide release was early January, but technically the limited release was December twenty two. I think of twenty seventeen. So I just want to recommend Hostiles anybody out there. Great cast. Ben Foster's awesome in it as well. West Studi's awesome in it. Insanely brutal western. Also uses the western format to really comment a lot on race relations, which. You know, this year where it was huge in movies. So uh, I felt like I was going to be a cheat if I put Hostiles as my number one. So it would be if it qualified, but I'm going to play by the rules here. So my my actual number one for the the year, and I think this is one everybody saw coming. I'm just going to go with my favorite popcorn munching movie going experience of the year. And I'm going to go with uh, Star Wars Solo, the... I don't know what you want to call it, the origin film, the whatever of Han Solo. Honestly, ironically enough, I've always been a Star Wars guy. I've never been that huge of a Han Solo guy. Uh, I think I think my interest in him kind of peaked in A New Hope and then kind of slowly dissipated over the other films. So, and this was a movie I was honestly dreading for the whatever two years build up before it came out. I was like, I'm not a fan of recasting whatever's. You know, sometimes it works when you have a, a younger version, like Ewan McGregor did work out as young Obi-Wan Kenobi. When they casted him, I, I do like Alden Ehrenreich, but uh, from other films I've seen him in, but I didn't think he would be a good fit for this. And once I saw the movie, I guess it's kind of like when you see a different actor take on James Bond or whatever. I didn't really care how much or how little or whatever he reminded me of Harrison Ford. I just was all in on the the buddy dynamics of him and Chewbacca. I thought it was a great, um, great adventurous ride. It's definitely what I want to see out of, uh, you know, um, Star Wars films, uh, or at least spinoff films. I like the more personal, smaller scale adventures, uh, where they don't have to save the entire galaxy all at once. So, yeah, I don't know. Just, just as a movie, I really never predicted I would like as much as I did. And then when I saw it, I just had a blast with it, so I'm going with Solo. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, um, I, it's not a fan of Solo. I, I didn't like it much at all. But I, I, I do want to uh, say that uh, Alden Ehrenreich, I actually thought he was pretty good. Uh, I, I actually thought he was. Uh, better than Donald Glover is Lando, which seemed to be getting more press, right. but he's just kind of doing a l- lazy Billy D. Williams. Uh, but I, Aaron Reich, I thought, you know, I thought he was charming. I thought he was likable. He was a good solo, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I'll just kind of say one of the you know points that Goat brought up just now was um, that. The, the idea of like not having to save the entire galaxy all the time. That's actually one thing, you know, now that I'll kind of reflect back a little bit, this is, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that a little, a little bit is, you know, it, it's, it is kind of refreshing to not have a star Wars movie where like the fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance and they're always constantly trying to one up themselves to the point where, it feels like the episodes have written themselves into a bit of a corner right now where there should be like, I don't know, like five, five members of the resistance left and like 
10 members of the of the imperial forces like because they've like massively murdered each other like so many times that it, <laughs> yeah, they you know, like like uh so it's just it's just yeah it kind of feels like they've they've built it and ratcheted it up so much to where it's like too much um and now you can't top it anymore to just kind of be like, well, since we can't top it, let's let's take a step back and go with a smaller scale, like just kind of heist thing. So that is a that's a good point. Yeah. So moving along, Matt, what was your favorite film of the year 2018? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And much like Jelly, I actually this was kind of uh, probably impacted by the experience of the of seeing it with my son now my son is gonna be five this year the movie is probably a bit above his uh, maturity there's some things that happen in the film that are that are fairly mature but like the sheer aesthetics of it we are both dying laughing at spider pig i mean there's so many awesome moments in this film incredible heart great character dynamics it again uses the medium and gets the most out of the visuals I am a huge fan of Kingpin's redesign. I know we talked about that kind of in our chat, but like I thought it fit perfectly with the medium. And uh, there's just I, like, what can you say bad about this film? It was basically perfect. And again, watching with my son and seeing like the joy on his face and seeing him laugh at some of the stuff, like it was just an absolute blast in the theater. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just a wonderful movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh crazy the reaction i feel like this film has gotten from you know what the the anticipation level was relatively modest a couple of months or even a month before it came out and it's like you know it's hanging in the top five in the box office too so i mean a lot of people are having the same reaction you guys have so i can't wait to see it myself so bird what was your favorite movie of 2018? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm the only person that's going to talk about this movie. Uh, sounds like I have maybe a minority opinion on it, but uh, I feel like this movie probably appealed to things to me and things that like uh, maybe don't appeal to anyone else in this group but me. But that is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Um, I thought it was tremendous. I understand the people that had frustrations with it, and they're all very understandable. Um, but for me, they're all things that, like, what a lot of people don't like about it are the, exactly the things that I like about it. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, I just, I just really, and I've, I'm a fan of Paul Schrader's work, most of it. Uh, this really felt like kind of a natural culmination of a lot of his stuff um, thematically. Uh, Ethan Hawke uh, just put in an incredible performance as this priest who is just existentially tormented by, you know, his faith and trying to maintain it and the despair of really what the human race is and coming to understand that and it's a slow burn and he just really kind of slowly descends into madness uh in a way that a lot of schrader's uh anti-heroes do um 
and uh, aesthetically, I really, I really loved the the way that it was shot, the use of the aspect ratio. Um, it just, I, I love slow burn dramatic movies that really focus on a character and just kind of raise a lot more questions than answers. And I recognize that that might be something that those might be qualities that out of this group only I really am into and this movie kind of just checked off all those things. And it was just a really uh, pleasant surprise. Again, I saw it in the middle of the summer sandwiched between like Jurassic world and Pacific Rim two or some nonsense. And it was just like, wow, like that just, I saw that at just the right time. You know, it was just a breath of fresh air compared to all the garbage that I was I was seeing, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you, saw, you saw it on a double bill right after uh, Burger King Cup, the motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 this, and Paul Schrader restored your faith. Yeah, yeah. So there's you know there's a little bit of just right place at the right time involved in that, and um, yeah, I, I dug it. Um, so. There's that my that that completes my my top uh my my top movies of 2018. I this whole time, Bird, I've been sitting here waiting to see where First Reform is going to wind up on your list. I loved it as well. Um, uh, you know, I think I saw these like back to back. I saw them both on video, but I think I saw this back to back with like within like three days of each other of uh, with Hereditary. And for much different reasons, but both films uh, really, really worked on me psychologically, gave me like a sick feeling. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, this is another one I, I look forward to revisiting sometime, you know, not too, uh, not, not too distant future. So yeah, big ups, big recommendations for Fresh Reform. All right, Jelly, I will ask you, what was your favorite film of 2018? Uh, it's been mentioned already, but um, sorry to bother you. Is my favorite movie of the year. Um, I uh, yeah, I, everyone else has has said kind of everything except you know what I'll add a little bit is um, I really I really like the way this movie kind of played with style. Um, you know, being kind of both like grounded and just kooky over the top stuff um the humor in it being both pointed and just like something stupid like um his first day in the office when the copier is going crazy um like it's just it really plays with with like a whole it a whole bunch of stuff it's like boots riley just kind of kind of just being a, a, a goofball almost like throughout the whole thing, but also having a valid point to make. Um, and, and so it just, it's so unique and it's such a, a unique film with a, a unique voice behind it. Um, and then also, you know, while we're talking about just some of the unique aspects of it, I really liked, um, I really liked the white voice and I really liked when the, the one character kind of, kind of comments, Hey, it sounds like you're, uh, it sounds like you're being dubbed over there. Um, and just that sort of like fourth wall kind of humor. Um, and the way the movie does that, like throughout, uh, yeah, it, 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 winds up building you towards uh towards something and and you 
you think because everyone says, oh, there's a twist, there's a twist. And you think like, oh, I think I think I'm going to have it figured out. And I think, you know, everyone's going to be lying when they say, you know, you won't figure out the twist. But uh, you you will not figure out the twist. <laughs> um, if you if you do, you are lying, period. Um, it's, it blindsides you and, um, it's hard to, to get too deep into it without giving, you know, spoilers. But as soon as it happened, I was like, yep, I love this movie. Um, and I mean, I, I knew I really liked it before that, but like, um, just the way, the way it happens and, and, um, the style of, uh, the thing is just, I was like, yep, no, I, I am, I am in love. Um, and it is definitely going to be a thing where you either love it or hate it. Um, if you hate it, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this movie with, uh, with, with my mother and wife and, um, the first time I saw it and, uh, I was like, I don't know what happens, but I know something crazy happens. That's all I know. Um, and they were both like kind of into it. And then that twist happened and they were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And where do you find movies like this? <laughs> and, and, um, and like, that's a valid reaction. Um, but it's, it's also, it is wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it just, it, this movie just hits right in my wheelhouse and I absolutely loved it. Um, like I said, it's possible it slips to number two after I rewatch spider verse and, and, you know, if that movie knocks my socks off again, but, uh, yeah, this is, this is also a movie where, um, I don't know if anyone else here has had kind of the opportunity to, to watch it a second time, but, um, there are certain little things kind of sprinkled in throughout that, um, are sort of like hiding in plain sight type of things, um, that you can pick up on, on a rewatch that, that make it, uh, uh, f- funny and and still work again the, the second and you know probably more times around so um sorry to bother you it's awesome when you think when that movie came out in japan do you think they were just like oh well okay <laughs> like they get crazy <laughs> like they get crazy stuff like this like every week over there yeah uh, what in, in China the reaction was they probably burned down the cinema, but that's <laughs> that's how China goes. So yeah, uh, amazing diverse list of films we gone over tonight. Last but not least, Trev, I will ask you what was your favorite film of twenty eighteen. So uh, remember at the beginning of the night when I said that Incredibles 2 was the only superhero movie on my list? That's kind of funny because I just completely forgot my number one movie is a superhero <laughs> movie. Uh, and that is, as the much now discussed, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, yeah. Totally, totally blown away by this. Uh, you know, it's like Jelly was talking about Mask of the Phantasm. And beyond that, I've, I've long wondered why we don't get more animated superhero films. And I, I know we get a lot of those like DC direct-to-video ones. And those are fine sometimes. But I mean more like theatrical released films because at the end of the day comic books are a drawn medium so it seemed like animated films kind of were a natural fit for them and i think we've just kind of fallen into this like paradigm of thinking like well the live action superhero movies that's where it's at and this was a nice reminder that what you can do with animation in that form that you can't do in live action and just show us a world that just looks so different and is so visually unique 
and just as a comic book fan, and I, I think I'm unique in this group in that I think we all like comic books, but I'm one of the people that's been reading them kind of consistently for a long time and still reading them. So to see characters like Miles Morales, who in the recent years had popped up and become a fan favorite, and, and I was really excited to see him. And then even like the Spider-Verse storyline, which is would just happen a few years ago, and, and Spider-Gwen and things like that. To see all that actually brought to life in a way I never thought I'd get to see, and just so accurate, and with and with the heart and spirit of the comics— uh, yeah, total home run. And uh, I mean, the Stan Lee cameo made me tear up because it came, you know, so soon after his death. And just like everything about it was just perfect in the moment. And uh, it also has Nicolas Cage in it. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. Every every movie gets 20% better with the addition of Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention the Stan Lee cameo when I when I. Yeah, it was. I do remember sitting in the theater and and it's not even just. The uh, the the fact that it was so close to his death because well, he had a cameo in, in Venom also and that was you know close to his death and that was just one of those kind of prototypical like ah uh-huh, Stanley says something funny you know um, this this is just the the way it's constructed it it um, it it has like uh, you you know what he says. Mm-hmm. In it, it feels like Stanley saying goodbye. Yeah, it's a nice and, goodbye. And uh, and yeah, it 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 hits you. Uh, it definitely hit me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's amazing how high the Spider Verse again. And I have to say, it's a testament to the uh, the fans of this film. I guess that I haven't had everything spoiled to me already. Everybody else has seen this movie twice at least. I still haven't seen it. I have plans to see it next week. I hope I love it as much as you guys do. But no matter what, wow, talk about an amazing list of films we just went up and down here for the last couple hours. I know it's uh, it was a marathon for us to record. I'm sure it's a marathon for the listeners to listen to. <laughs> so uh, we'll just go out on a quick note and we'll just say, what's your most anticipated film in 2019? Uh, for me, believe it or not, it's actually Captain Marvel. I kind of really enjoy outer space superhero flicks, um, especially the Marvel ones in particular. Um, I don't really want to say too much. Um, They teased the return of some minor MCU characters, like in the initial photos they put out, but they never showed these characters in the trailer, so I don't want to say too much. But the whole kind of semi-prequel nature of it and the fact that Captain Marvel is supposedly going to be a big force going up forward in MCU... Uh, it really got me looking forward to it. And, and I have to say, like, a lot of these comic book movies, uh, I go see them all, I buy them all, they're all on my Blu-ray shelf. I don't anticipate them anymore because they're always coming out. I don't know, for some reason, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Matt, what's your most anticipated movie of 2019? I mean, the obvious choice is Godzilla King of the Monsters, but instead of going there, uh, I'm going to say It Chapter 2. Oh, I wow. loved the, the first one and really really excited to see the next the, the sequel interesting yeah that that one seems so far away i didn't i wasn't even thinking of it but yeah i think a lot of people are gonna be jacked for that one uh bird uh what is your most anticipated uh i mean the obvious is godzilla um but i mean after that i mean i honestly i'm gonna sound like john q audience here would be maybe <laughs> avengers i i liked infinity war so much and I just really kind of want to see how it wraps up. Um, 
uh, and yeah, I mean, there's some other smaller stuff like uh, the Scorsese Irishman. Uh, once they finally finish spending billions of dollars digitally de-aging Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, it'll be on Netflix this year. I think this might have been on my list last year, but it's still not out. So, I mean, there's other stuff too, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's some of the stuff that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Awesome. Yeah. Netflix sent, uh, spent a uh, $6 billion on content this year. 1.3 billion of it was just on de-aging. All the classic Scorsese <laughs> yeah. actors for that yeah. movie. <laughs> I just feel like that they've been doing that forever. I know. Yeah, you think by now it'd just be like a Snapchat <laughs> app, and they wouldn't really have to spend months and months of like doing that. But uh, Jelly, what's your most anticipated uh, film of 2019? Uh, like uh, like Matt and Bird. I mean, there's there's pretty much no chance uh, that Godzilla: King of the Monsters is anywhere but number one next year. I mean, unless. Uh, Unless it's like a tremendous piece of crap or something. Mm. Um, if it's as good as like Kong Skull Island, it will be a lock for my number one. But um, the the movie that like I'm I'm kind of anticipating in the most like um, I don't know if it's gonna be good. It could be it could be good. It could be disappointing. Whatever um, is Toy Story four. You know we're back on that Pixar thing of like this could be another one of their like tear exploitation type of movies but um <laughs> but uh also i've liked all three of the previous toy story movies um i actually this is the only movie that i have currently physically circled on a calendar um because i i told my my daughter um hey there's gonna be a new toy story this year do you think you'd want to go see it and she like got super excited so i had to show her it's it's far away <laughs> um but but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to having that experience again of being able to take you know one one of my kids, um, possibly both of my kids. My son might be you know um, ready to to sit in a movie theater um, by the time this comes out. So um, to to kind of be able to get and have that you know first like kind of family experience and have that kind of outing, I'm really looking forward to to that aspect of it. And so even if the movie leaves me cold, I, I'm really looking forward to to having like a a day with the kids uh, to go see Toy Story Four. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's actually that's actually a very good reason to look forward to uh, seeing a movie for sure. Especially if it ends up being your son's first film, it will kind of be like the mirror image of when you took your daughter to see Incredibles. So, yeah. Plus, like, I remember Toy Story, like the original one, oh, you know, and like, I, I, I mean, it hit at that perfect age for me, too, where I was like young enough to still like to, to young enough to not think I was too cool for like uh, a kid's animated movie, mm -hmm. but also old enough to realize like the significance of that movie and being right. the first like computer, fully computer animated movie. Um, and I mean, the animation in it still pretty well holds up. I mean, the only real exception being um, the obvious choice of like, Oh, everyone has to have like the short tight hair, even the right. dog, yeah. because yeah. they, you know, if they if they did real hair on the computers they were using back then, that shit would still be rendering. Um, but but, so, but some yeah. of the backgrounds though, like in the chase at the end, is better than the shit you see in some movies now. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So yeah, Toy Story is uh, Toy Story Four. Really looking forward to it, honestly. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't kept up with the sequels, but much like you, I was at the very tender age of eighteen years old that I was had no problems being a huge Toy Story fan, and I saw it twice in the theater, and even bought the full size uh, Buzz Lightyear figure with the electronics and all that. So yeah, Toy Story. Trev, last but not least. What's your most anticipated film of 2019? Well, I don't have kids, so while Jelly's getting excited about seeing Toy Story 4, screw that, I'm going to go see a violent movie about the Manson murders. So my most anticipated movie by far is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Uh, I'm always looking forward to a new Tarantino film, and I love that this one, I think it's really cool that we don't know exactly what this one is yet. I mean, we know it's tangentially about the Manson murders, but it's obviously not just that. It's the storyline about... Uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's character is a failed actor and a stuntman trying to break into the or get back into the film industry. Um, you know, so a cool like Tarantino period piece, which we don't know what it is. And I mean, look, you got DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, Damian Lewis, Bruce Dern, Dakota Fanning, Scoop McNary, Luke Perry, Clifton Collins Jr., Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this, I'd say. Does so, this movie have a release date yet? Yeah, July. Uh, Trev, you forgot Lena Dunham. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I purposely there forgot Lena is. Dunham, but you know, <laughs> as we all did. Yeah. <laughs> I accidentally. But Lena, Lena Dunham is not going to keep me from seeing this one because, uh, <laughs> and you know, if if Tarantino's a man of his word, there's only one more after this, so we got to savor these while we can. Oh. And uh, and yeah, so definitely looking forward to it. Well, let's hope he's a lion son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I sure hope so too. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's it, 2018, 2019. We're already in 2019. It's crazy how time flies. It's always nice to do these things, though, to encapsulate kind of some of your your highlights of your movie-going year. I want to thank all the listeners for listening, obviously. We appreciate that. I want to thank all you guys for being here, Matt, Jelly, Bird, Trev. This was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, definitely... You know, we got to try to keep this uh, tradition going in some form or another. Uh, you know, I know we only le- re- usually release one or two episodes a month, so if you guys are out there and need some podcasts to listen to, you're definitely going to tune in to Matt and Bird on Kaiju Transmissions. And also, too, you're always going to want to get them hot uh, scoops about the X Men and just comic book stuff in general on. The Trev show. Uh, I always, always, I'm afraid I'm going to mess this <laughs> the up. Trev show. Yeah, days of future podcast <laughs> examining the X Men. Yep. Yeah, I'm always afraid I'm going to screw that up. But guys, thanks so much. This was awesome. I mean, we're technically running some February, but this was a nice way to cap off 2018. Everybody, uh, this is our first show in 2019. So happy New Year! I hope you guys are doing good. Stick to your resolutions. Uh, everybody pumped them weights. Everybody on this podcast is getting swole, hitting the gym, except for me and Bird. We're the only ones. Yeah, we, we're we, not. <laughs> we, we just stay on the couches. But anyway, yeah. guys, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. It was a pleasure. The Thanks. movie graveyard. Who, who said the Frankenstein thank you at the end? Who was that? That was me, I think. Oh, okay. It just sounded like Frankenstein all of a sudden. It's like, whoa. <laughs>